You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of the show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Barry with me. T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls as we are getting ever closer to Auburn football. Just three days away now till the Tigers take on UMass and one day away from a uh, pretty significant SEC team-involved game Thursday night. So we are getting closer to all the meaningful college football. So we will continue to kind of preview the season we've done that in various ways over the last several weeks i think the one thing we've not done is give our opinions on what ultimately are the toughest games for auburn in 2023 and what are the most important games for auburn in 2023 so we will go through the schedule in the four o'clock hour and give you that we'll also have a giveaway today if you're listening in the four o'clock hour we will have a giveaway of four tickets to Auburn football versus UMass. So, again, that will be coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, so stay tuned for that. Uh, also, Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group at the top of the 5 o'clock hour for that. And then also, 5.15 with football season comes fantasy football season. Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us for the first time here this fall. Uh, it's still summer, but uh, coming up for the end of summer uh, and first of fall, Joe Bartle will join us to talk about your fantasy needs in the NFL world as everyone gets set to have their fantasy drafts in the coming days. Either way, Ryan, it's it's fantasy season. It's it, football season. It is football That's season. The season. Absolutely. So, uh, so we will have Joe Bartle on at 515 to talk about that. As always, birthdays and sports nightly TV guide. And your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at one 888 Ryan, Tom, and Cam with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. We'll start with you, Cam. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Uh, enjoying a, a good Wednesday, a uh, good hump day, really. And um, just been really, really excited for football to get started um you know obviously uh nfl teams are making their cuts down and making the official uh 53-man roster um yesterday and then uh you know obviously college football week zero is underway and i will not lie i don't think i watched a second though i watched a little bit actually that's not true i watched a little bit of ohio and san diego state okay um while i was uh um i was just i wouldn't go grab something to eat at shrimp basket actually and i was i was chilling over there and um 
watched that one, but it was really in correlation to after it was it was the end of the Braves game. So uh, I've been really focused on baseball because I've been I've been really uh, you know obviously the Braves are making a push and trying to get finished first in in the NL and and obviously they pretty much all ha- have the NL East all but on lock at this point. Um, so just been and really enjoying a lot of baseball. I think my time is going to get taken a lot with football now that now that things are starting to kick uh kick up with that season but i'm, I'm really excited uh for this first game um i'll be on the sidelines so uh i i can't wait to to be there and 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 see the atmosphere in jordan hair really just and experience it again it's going to be electric tiger walk is probably going to be huge i could i can imagine so i i'm really excited for how football season is going to kick off man and um yeah i'm doing great and just over 88,000 expected inside of Jordan Hare Stadium with the new capacity, but very excited about that. And uh, yeah, no, that was funny because that's the San Diego State Ohio game is the one game I, I missed out on on uh, on Saturday. I was able to watch a little bit of uh, all the other games. So uh, collectively, getting uh, right. getting a completion there. Tom Peavy also on the show this yep, afternoon. Yep. Tom, how are you, man? I'm I'm good. Um, wrapping up my week here with you guys. Is it uh? Yeah, doing great. I'm ready to talk some football as it's uh, my last show before we get to game day. and uh, Make you give all the opinions. Any hot takes to be had, opi- we're going to find them today. That's, opi- that's right. All my, all my opinions, my hot takes, uh, my stuff where uh, people are going to hate me no matter what I say. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, weather-wise, I was up all night watching uh, the hurricane make landfall yep. and I, I had the weather channel on my tv and my phone was going on uh, some of the storm chasers live feeds but what was kind of funny is i was sit there and watch jim cantori up on the balcony uh in cedar uh cedar key he was up on a balcony watching the storm surge in the background behind him were some houses and you could see some people running around doing some stuff on my phone it was those people that i was looking at (laughs) so it was kind of weird seeing that the the kind of juxtaposition between the two people uh literally in the same spot that i'm watching live but uh you know uh, lots of thoughts and prayers to everybody down there in that part of florida Uh, i have not seen you know how bad it uh, did to some of those coastal areas. There's not a lot of coastal areas of where it hit, but there are a few that uh, that are probably dealing with some hellacious stuff right now. So uh, you know, anybody that has friends, family down that way, you know, we're, we're everybody's thinking about you. We haven't gotten anything here. I thought they, there was a chance we might get a little bit of rain possibly from it, but I don't think we've gotten much of anything. It has cooled things off down, so yeah. that helps. But. Uh, yeah, that that was my morning, and so a uh, little bit sleep deprived right now. I did get some sleep, but yeah, I was up pretty late watching all the hurricane coverage. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, I, I'm always up late, and uh, you're up late. I know often too, Tom. But uh, yeah, I was certainly watching that coverage as well. And uh, obviously, I handle the the weather here at Tiger Communications too. Uh, fortunately, uh, look, the way I've always said it is. Uh, someone's fortune is someone else's misfortune in, in terms of these storms. And so uh, fortunate that it did not take a, a way westerly path over to the Alabama Gulf beaches or uh, Pensacola area, Panama City, etc. And uh, also fortunate for those in the Tampa St. Pete area that it did not come closer to their shoreline. But unfortunately, it's still got to go somewhere. And, and you're right, some beaches along the, the, the bend there of Florida uh, hit pretty hard. Uh, I think, you know, 
10 plus feet of storm surge for some yeah. of those areas and uh it does not seem quite I, I i speak for yourself in this uh this kind of way ryan but I, I think it's not quite as large scale impactful as Ian was last year, right. uh, from what I'm gathering. However, still there are absolutely three to five areas along the coastline there that are absolutely uh, underwater right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. There are impacts, but the the thing is, uh, you know, you talk about a fortunate thing. It's not fortunate for the people that are affected by this that do live there. But in the scheme of things, when you when you look at the state of Florida panhandle um you're talking about you know from the alabama border all the way over past panama city to a certain point and then you get down from like tampa just north of tampa and then all the way down to miami and then of course all the way around qs and then all the way up the atlantic side all heavily populated that bend area of florida where this went is not very heavily right. populated at all i mean there's areas of vast wilderness of nothingness until you get well inland before you actually get to civilization. But there are some little spots at Cedar Key that I mentioned is this little tiny piece that sticks out uh, down in the ocean, and it's got a little bit of a population. And there's a Keaton Island uh, they showed. That's a tiny little spot that's on the coast. It's got a little bit of stuff. A couple of other little small areas, but there's not a big population center there's not a really popular beach area like you would think of between like Destin and Santa Rosa and all that stuff it, you're not talking about an area like that you're talking about little tiny spots on a map that you can barely even see from a satellite until you really zoom in on it so fortunately it went into that area and not a major uh, populous area Still, though, there are people affected by it, and, and that's very sad. And then inland, it's still doing a lot of damage. So tough stuff Anytime a storm like that happens. But, I mean, that's what happens when you're in the southeast around the Gulf and the Atlantic. You're going to get storms like that. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that really um, when you're looking at it, too, um, you've got this situation where so much – and I, I know we're doing weather call almost right, right now. but Weather. Uh, we got plenty. We got three hours. We're getting, right. we getting in a lot of sports. The, the, here, the Gulf receives so much water, and that's why the storm surge is a big issue. They're going to get so much rain and, and, and still significant winds along the Carolinas, but at least that that water kind of blows out, out right. because of the path of the storm rather than blow in, or else we'd be talking about several states. I mean, oh, yeah. several states involved in this, but even up to Valdosta and that sort of thing, uh, a lot of rain uh, can – can uh, affect things but also this the surge part of it uh is really what changes lives and um causes a lot of the damage and again that's why a lot of it was uh, uh is so bad and that's also why you you, you evacuate in those situations because you got to run from the water hide from the wind and so uh definitely hoping that as few people as possible are displaced because of this let's go to the auburn bank phone line for the first time today 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine first up on the show today keith from jack keith from auburn keith is with us keith how are you this afternoon Hey, I'm outstanding. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Hey, uh, you know, uh, you talk about the storm and all. Uh, really, all you know, you know what that is. It's really the the football god 
are all uh, jockeying for for position for these football games coming up this weekend. That's what that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the season is here. I'm I'm happy happy that it's here. Uh, I'm happy high school football kicked off. I, I got an opportunity to watch the Bullard Hornets on TV. That's a little different, but uh, had a great picture and. Uh, they look pretty doggone good for uh, their first win of the season. I tell you what, uh, their running back room is loaded. If they're starting tailbacks out, those cats that they they uh, played uh, last Thursday are pretty good ball players. So I think they I think Borgard's going to be okay this season. Uh, they look pretty pretty talented. Yeah, absolutely. That was already a, a playoff team from last year and. Uh, a lot of those guys back, and if they can get the running back back at some point this year too. But even as you said, they still ran the ball pretty effectively against Selma. And it was good to see them uh, on TV. Obviously, we cover all the radio games right here on 95.9. But uh, also with it being the kickoff classic, they were they were able to be shown on TV too. And that's really cool. Yeah, it really was. Hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jack State. Uh, watched most of that ball game Saturday. And Coach Rich Rod got it. Uh, they got their first uh, Division One uh, FBS uh, win, so I think they're in the Conference USA, I believe. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yep. So good for Jack State. I'm glad to see a, you know, one of the local Alabama teams, state teams, win. Uh, I, you know, I actually watched a little bit of North Alabama and uh, Mercer, I, I think. Mercer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they they looked improved. I mean, they won one ball game last year, so. Uh, they look, they look, I guess, better than what they were last year. Uh, but I really, I, I called in, you know, I've been listening some. It's hard for me to call in from time to time. But Steven uh, mentioned a while back about, uh, you know, why why you're a fan of whatever team, you you know, whether it be Alabama or Auburn. And uh, I heard uh, Steve give his uh, a little spill about being uh, an Auburn fan. So here's the best way I can uh come to uh, explaining how I was an Alabama fan. I really don't ever remember anything else other than Alabama football when I was a young kid growing up. Uh, my granddad, uh, his brother was head football coach up at Decatur High School and uh, Earl was always getting tickets to Alabama games, it seemed like. And uh, and I got to go to a few of them. I, I still remember my very first college football game. Alabama hosted Missouri in Legion Field. Oh wow! And uh, and it was uh, it wasn't a good day for Alabama. I think they got beat twenty-one to zip. Uh, they uh, Missouri had a running back by the name of Tony Galbraith played several years in the NFL. He just ran all over Alabama uh, in that ball game. But uh, uh, and then I guess you know if Steve's listening. Uh, you know, when I was, I think, 13 years old, uh, I had a chance to uh, sit across the booth from Coach Bryant. He had made his way up to Decatur, Alabama, to uh, uh, to visit with Earl uh, about his quarterback at Decatur High School, uh, Benny Perrin. And uh, my granddad carried me up there. And I, I never will forget, I sat in that booth, and I faced the uh, the door so I could see Coach Bryant when he came in. And he, he walked in, had two, uh, I guess, bodyguards. They were in street clothes. 
uh, with him, and they sat down right there at the door. Back in the 70s, they, Tom, you may remember this, they, they'd have them benches right there at the door and, a, and like a coat rack or a coat and hat rack. Uh, they both sat down at the bench right there at the door, Coach Bryant, which uh, I was disappointed. I thought he'd be wearing a houndstooth hat, but uh, I don't even think he had a hat on that day, but he took his overcoat off, hung it on that uh thing and then came came over and Earl introduced uh, my granddad to Coach Bryant and then uh, he introduced me and Coach Bryant was sitting directly across from me and I never will forget this as long as I live. He reached his hand out in that grumpy old voice and said, hello, young man. And I just stared at him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to say or what to do, but uh, I did get to listen to a little uh, football stories, I guess you could say, but most importantly, I, I got to watch Coach Bryant eat a slice of apple pie and drink a cup of coffee. So, and you know that was a uh, that was a big big time for me, and I never have forgotten that. Uh, so, uh, Steve, if you're listening, uh, that pretty much uh, cemented me into being an Alabama fan. As I've grown older, though, I will say this, and I know people don't believe me, but I'm sorry. Uh, I like to see Auburn win. I, I, I really do. I'm not an Auburn hater. My son graduated from Auburn University. Uh, paid him a good amount of money for him to go there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, it, it's always good when Alabama's winning and when Auburn's winning. That just it's great for the state. Uh, it, it's great for college football and it's great for the Iron Bowl. Uh, you know, so. Uh, there you go in a nutshell. Uh, that's that's how I became an Alabama fan, and uh, you know it's uh, it's fun times when you get to high school and college football. That's what it's all about. So, but uh, anyway, guys, I just wanted to call in and share that. Absolutely. I'm driving out toward Phoenix City on 280. So uh, you guys keep up the great work, and uh, Steve, I know you're probably listening. I'm going to give you a big roll tie. Have a good <laughs> evening. You too, Keith. Appreciate the phone call. That is Keith from Auburn joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Yes, Steve's been asking for a week or two for some callers to give uh, their stories how they became Auburn, Alabama fans, or Georgia fans, or whoever. So appreciate that from uh, from Keith right there. See, I became a Georgia fan. I'm no longer a Georgia fan because I came to Auburn, but I became a Georgia fan because that's what I grew up with. My my dad got a uh, specialist uh, teaching degree from Georgia. Uh, before I started going to games there, all I can, all I had was Georgia. The entire side of that fam, my entire both sides of family were Georgia, and from a time I was a kid, it was hooping and hollering over Georgia games, and that just kind of got ingrained in me. And then I started going to Georgia games when I was seven years old, and mm-hmm. so for the time I was seven years old until the time I was twenty-one and came to Auburn, I think I only missed like two home games in Athens. So there was a lot of Georgia yeah. football that I went to. And a couple of away games and a couple of bowl games. Uh, but then I came to Auburn, and now it's, it's it's orange and blue. I mean, once you come to school here, you, you can't just not love this place. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, I, I can't understand. I've seen, I have, I have seen and met quite a few Alabama fans that have grown up Alabama fans, have gotten their degree from Auburn, and they just don't like Auburn. They hate Auburn. They, they will leave on the weekends and go to Tuscaloosa to a game. Yeah, and they're going to school at Auburn. And it's like, man, how I don't know. Do do I that? don't understand yeah. that, but it happens. 
Yeah, it, it does. Uh, so, again, we appreciate Keith for calling in there uh, to give us his story of how he became an Alabama fan. I'm sure uh, you know, if you listened the other day, Steve gave his story of why, uh, he, how he became an Auburn fan. So uh, continue to have callers uh, if, you, if they so choose to, to give us the stories of that. I can tell you this: the first time I never cheered for Auburn when, as a Georgia fan growing up in Columbus, Georgia, Auburn was the big rivalry, and and so you would almost in elementary school and all you'd almost get in fights over Georgia and Auburn. I, I mean, that was the huge rivalry over there, and so I didn't want anything to do with Auburn. I hated Auburn. Had some friends come here, and it was a basketball game in maybe '96. And I came over here and hung out with my friends and sat in the uh, Cliff Dwellers. And they beat Alabama, and I rushed the floor with the student section, even though I was not a student at the time. I rushed the floor with them. That was my first time actually cheering for Auburn over something, and there's something pretty infectious about it. And it's like, yeah, this place isn't so bad. And just kind of took, we are. here we are now, all these years later. <laughs> Now you're, even got you're my eagle guy. Even my sister came to school here. Um, when I came to Auburn in '98, my sister would not even tell her friends that I was going to Auburn. She just still tell them I was going to Columbus State University. <laughs> and we came over here to look for apartments, and she wouldn't even get out of uh, out of the the van. Like she would not even set foot on Auburn's campus. She wow. just would not. That's how much she disliked Auburn. Whew. And then she ended up coming to Auburn and graduating mm-hmm. and. Now she's an Auburn fan stuck in middle Georgia around all the dogs. and <laughs> My, my, how the turntables have turned. That's right. Oh, my, my buddy that came to Auburn to start with that really kind of got me going, his big joke was on Christmas at my house, how like everything you know that you'd get clothes-wise and things was all like red and black in Georgia, and within like a couple of years, it was all orange and blue. And he's like, yep, I did my deed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go to our first break right now. On the other side of this break, we will continue on with more phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. More sports call coming up after this. Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. You caught me a little bit off guard there. Yeah, I see. I, I, I didn't know where that came from at first, and then <laughs> I, I, I don't know. interjection there. Sure, why not? I mean, excited to be here. Certainly excited football Absolutely. is on the horizon. Let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, one 9 Up next today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good at War Eagle. War Eagle. I know that y'all are um, talking about the uh, the impact that's happening in Florida right now. 
and um, with me, uh, you know, keeping a track on this um, on this storm as well. Um, I just want to, you know, clear out that I just want to clear up uh, my heart and do go out to the families, uh, you know, that's lost everything in Florida. So my heart do go out to uh, Florida as well. And I hope everything turns out um, for the best for for the families as well and the businesses in, in the Florida panhandle as well. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. I think uh, they need. Um, they're going to need a, a lot of help in the coming weeks. Uh, again, there will be power outages. Uh, I think there's a couple hundred thousand without power, but then also homes destroyed because of water damage, some wind damage, uh, all sorts of things there. As Tom was talking about in the first segment, at least it's not one of the more densely populated areas uh, of all the areas in Florida. It was one of the, uh, quote, best ones. Not that there's always a good one, but one of the better ones to – to hit so uh again though still a lot of damage for that area yeah. and a long road to recovery yeah the, the unfortunate thing that though is, is it's so very isolated that there's going to be some areas it's difficult to get to sure that's the only bad thing with that yes as well because i would um i'm actually going to be going out there sometime uh real soon when uh, when when the uh when the news actually comes is uh, all clear so um my family and I, we're actually going to be going out there to Panama City uh, Beach, Florida. So um, I know that uh, my my younger sister was saying that uh, Panama City Beach is not affected by um, the the uh, hurricane as well. So that's a good thing. And um, I know it's going to be kind of um, out there. So when I'm out there in Panama City, I might uh, give an extra hand as well if they need it as well. Uh, yeah, still had to drive a little little ways across the panhandle there to help out, but I'm sure again any and all helping hands would be appreciated. And yeah, uh, Panama City uh, was was able to steer clear there, some rain and some wind, but uh, nothing like the the impacts a couple hundred miles to the to the east. Yes, as well because I do. Um, I, I have a lot of friends in Panama City that I'm actually going to be uh, meeting up uh, sooner or later as well and then um, what i'm going to be doing is um you know if i'm actually out there in panama city for me as a person that's you know helping out with a lot of different uh disasters just like this one i'm actually going to be um if i can actually uh you know you know buy a couple of drinks for you know a random you know person as well that would be a really good thing as well for me to do you know for them as well because i'm actually visiting uh their their beautiful city in in florida as well yeah definitely would uh would need supplies like water and uh and that sort of thing to, to get through and uh, again, there'll be a lot of different ways that people can help out. I'm sure a lot of power vehicles from other states are, are down that way and, and a, a lot of helping hands. Yes, as well, because I know um, with a lot of college football that's um, actually going to be starting this coming up weekend, I'm looking at will they push uh, Florida and um, uh, Houston back to a different time slot as well because I don't know if they're going to keep it um, at the same at, on the same schedule, or they're just going to move it, or they're just going to push it back to another week as well. Yeah, Florida is actually playing uh, Utah this week, and it is in Utah. So uh, uh, Florida already left; they're 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 playing and everything left the other day, so they're not in the state of Florida right now. And uh, that game's in Utah, so that game will go on as scheduled tomorrow night. 
Yes, as well, because I know with uh, some um, pro football games as well, I'm not quite sure if uh, Tampa is actually going to be playing their game in, in uh, Raymond James Stadium, but I'm going to be listening to the uh, NFL Network and seeing if they're going to make any uh, changes or anything like that as well for uh, Sunday's game as well. Yeah, as far as the, the Bucks and, and as a matter of fact, the rest of the NFL, there are no games this Sunday. Uh, it's uh, remember next Sunday is when week one is next Thursday is when the season kicks off eight days from now and uh, the Bucks first game is in Minnesota uh, so they don't have a, a game until a couple more Sundays at, at Raymond James Stadium so uh, they should be completely fine to end up playing there yes as well because I'm actually getting um, I'm actually counting down the days to the uh, kickoff season which will be um, a really good kickoff season that's going to open up uh, the 2023 NFL season with a uh, big opening week of the uh, Super Bowl, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and I think they're playing the Detroit Lions on Thursday night as well. The the first Thursday night game of the year uh, to kick off the the NFL season again eight days from now. I think that's actually uh, the yeah yeah it's the Lions and the uh, Chiefs. Uh, so I, I think that. Uh, it's it's kind of surprising to hear Detroit involved in that. Honestly, we we all expected honestly. Kansas City to be in something like that, but uh, Detroit had a much better year last year. Again, they it's did. still need to take another step up to to be in the playoffs and and that sort of thing. And again, that's a big ask for week number one. But uh, that is the opening game of the season. You're right. Yes, as well, because I'm actually rooting against the Kansas City Chiefs because that's my nephew's team. So I'm actually uh, just put in my pick for that one. So I think that the Detroit Lions are going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs as well. And then for my final score for this one for uh, Thursday night, I'll have to say uh, Detroit um, uh, 34 to Kansas City 24. Okay, yeah, well, I, I do expect – good number of points to be put up in that and again that's eight days away so looking forward to to getting that we will have uh somebody on a little bit later today to be able to talk some fancy football with us because we know a lot of fancy drafts are coming up yes as well because i'm actually getting ready for uh, my fantasy draft which i'm going to be uh, looking at some different uh teams i might like some different players i want to put in and I might put some players in from Auburn, but I'm not quite sure on how the depth chart is going to look this year. So I'm just going to see uh, who I'm going to pick as well. So it's going to be um, random picking for me this year as well. Oh, random picking this year. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just waiting for uh, week one to actually start because I'm actually, instead of me actually like I've done it last last few years, I was just – um, picking the players and just watching them, and then, and I didn't even have any um, points on my uh, fantasy uh, point schedule. It was just, you know, I, I was just watching the players, but I wasn't making any points. But this year, I'm going to add some players this year as well, instead of watching the players, uh, you know, playing the games and and not making any points this year. So I'm just going to be adding some players as well. Sounds like uh, you've got your own thing going there. And, uh, hey, if it works for you, that's uh, that's good enough. 
Yes, as well, because with the uh, fantasy draft, it's kind of hard, and um, a lot of people will be picking really good players, and I have to sit there. I have to sit and wait for, like, you know, another good play, another good player to come up, and I I just feel like I should do it all my, on, you know, by myself as well, and just pick random players as well. Yeah, and uh, again, everyone's fancy, uh, excited for the fantasy part of the season, season two. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually um, going to be looking at how Auburn is actually going to open up the season for week one against UMass University because um, last week I was uh, watching um, UMass and uh, New Mexico State, and I think Auburn is really going to going to really show. Um, UMass as well because I know they do come to Jordan Hare Stadium this weekend as well, and that's going to be um, it's going to it's not going to be an easy slate for UMass to actually get a win at home. So I mean on the road, but I think Auburn would take this one at home as well, and I think this one will be a fifty six twenty six lead as well. Fifty six twenty six. Okay, a lot of points, a lot of points for sure, but. 30 to 30 to 40 point margin feels like the the right kind of margin for this. I think the the line is like 36 and a half, something like that. It always gets tough late in games when second stringers are in and to to see how much more scoring is going to happen, but uh I think about a 30 point margin uh could could be that way. Hopefully Auburn does not give up 26, but we'll see. Yes, as well. And then with my Dallas Cowboys, um you know, with the Dallas Cowboys news that I've been hearing all day um, you know, they've been talking about uh, Trey Lance is actually going to be, um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys starter as well because they did give uh, Trey Lance a new jersey for the Dallas Cowboys, so he'll be wearing number 15. And with the uh, 53-man roster, they just cut Will Greer off of the off the roster list, so um, they just um, took him out as well. So some other team. Uh, in the NFL might pick up Will Greer as well, but I don't know what team will Will Greer will he actually go to. I don't know where uh, Will Greer be going to in the NFL as well. Yeah, say that five times fast. It can get a little bit difficult there, but yeah, Will Greer I think will end up on uh, somebody's practice squad, somebody's team. He played really well in that third preseason game uh, when he was given the opportunity to play the whole game, but, but obviously mm-hmm. with Trey Lance being traded to Dallas, he's going to be the backup quarterback. Dak will absolutely still start, but uh, Lance with his uh, potential, we'll see. Uh, but obviously, he's going to be the backup. Yes, as well. So if he's actually going to be the backup, I think that Dak Prescott would show well with Trey Lance having a Super Bowl under his belt. I think you know uh, Trey Lance should uh, you know uh, take. Uh, Dak Prescott under his uh, wing and actually show him, you know, the the right key components of how to win uh, a good game as well. So I think that would be a really good thing for uh, Dak Prescott to learn from a Super Bowl champion as well and uh, Trey Lance as well. Yeah, Trey Lance is unfortunately not a Super Bowl champion, though. The 49ers have been in the Super Bowl uh, recently, a few years ago, but uh, they they did not win when they were in it. Uh, they made some deep playoff runs, but they're still looking for their for their first title under Shanahan. So uh, Lance is, uh, and obviously, even if they had, he was he was not a factor in that. He was not the, the starting quarterback. But 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, obviously was part of some playoff runs. Dak's been a part of some playoff runs too, uh, and and Dallas still looking to to make that Super Bowl. Yes, as well, because if if Dak Prescott is looking, and you know, if he's looking at like a Super Bowl run, I think Dak Prescott could um, probably talk to like Roger Staubach or uh, some of the you know some of the Hall of Famers that actually played in the Super Bowl as well and actually get some some old, you know, advice from some of the older players before him as well. Yeah, I uh, always look towards some of the, the game's greats for advice. It's always a good way to go. Well, James, do you have any final thoughts for today, uh, for today before we have to let you go? Um, well, the only final thought that I actually have for today is I know that um, my heart actually do go out to – um, the students in North Carolina and Capitol Hill, and I know that's been on my mind and on my heart as well, and I'm hoping that those students would, um, you know, they really do need a lot of um, prayer as well, so that's what I'm going to do for them all this week, all the way up to Labor Day weekend, and I, and I hope that uh, I wish all of the best of luck in, uh, you know, for the for the students at uh, Capitol Hill of North Carolina State University as well. Uh, yeah, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. I mean, but, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, uh, there was a shooting there a couple days ago and a very sad situation. They did uh, apprehend the suspect, but, uh, again, always hate when that kind of thing happens and uh, traumatizing experience for those involved. But, James, uh, we appreciate the phone call today. We look forward to hearing from you again tomorrow. All right, sounds good on War Eagle. War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take one final timeout here in the 3 o'clock hour. Back to wrap up hour number one right after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here yeah. on this Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> Is I, I, I enjoy it. I, I think you should keep doing it. Uh, it's like a focus test, which I've clearly failed because I've gone off topic. So he's <laughs> two for two now and uh, in that realm. Also, T.P. Hammock is running the board taking your phone calls today. Again, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to, of course, continue to take phone calls, but we're also going to give away some football tickets to the UMass game. So that's coming up at 4 o'clock hour. And then also go through the schedule uh, and kind of a final way to preview things. What are the toughest and most important games for Auburn this year? Some of them are not going to be breaking news. Uh, the schedule is pretty much the same every year. Yep. Uh, but uh, might have a couple of differences of opinion and just what's more important 
this year with a, a new coach and timing of the season, that sort of thing. So that's coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. And in the 5 o'clock hour, uh, we will have Joe Bartle of Rotowire to talk some fantasy football with us. So before we end our number one, let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports today. We start off with Robert Parrish, who is 70, former NBA center. Parrish was born in Louisiana and as a senior was named a high school All-American and led his school to a state championship in 1972. And that school would be Woodlawn High School in Shreveport. Go Knights. Shreveport. Played college basketball at the Centenary College of Louisiana. Go Gentlemen. (laughs) Sure. Yes, that's 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 going to be better than the high school names. I bet. Go today. what? Gentlemen. Gentlemen. All right. The centenary gentlemen. Moving along. Where, where he was declared ineligible, along with four other players, but led the Gents to an eighty-seven and twenty-one <laughs> record over his four years. They just come up yeah, with anything. Wait, wait, he got what? Suspended? Is that what you said? Uh, declared ineligible. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Not uh, very gentlemanly. Yeah, I think it declared after <laughs> the fact. Graduated in 1976, was taken eighth overall by the Golden State Warriors, played 21 years in the NBA, was a nine-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA selection, and four-time NBA Finals champion. His number double zero is retired by the Celtics, and he's a member of both the college and pro basketball halls of fame. Robert Parrish is 70 today. I wonder why he chose double zero. Because, I, you know, I, I'm just curious. That's a random one. Because zero is really popular as a number now. Uh-huh. Like, players love to wear zero. Double zero, not as much. I don't think there's anybody that I can think of off the top of my head in basketball right now that wears double zero. Um, but I find that interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Just, just, I wonder why double zero. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe there's something back in the archives yeah. of, of why he chose that. Sean Alexander turns 46 today. Former NFL running back, Alexander was born in the state of Kentucky. He was a high school star in football, basketball, baseball, and track. And as a senior, he was named Mr. Football for the state of Kentucky. And that would be at Boone County High School in Florence, Kentucky. Go Rebels. Rebels committed to play college football in Alabama. Yeah. One-time All-American <laughs> and won SEC Player of the Year in 1999. He left Alabama holding 15 school records, including most career rushing yards with 3,433. He was taken 19th overall by the Seahawks in 2000 and played eight of his nine years in Seattle. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, and one-time NFL MVP. Sean Alexander is 46 today. He was tough, though. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I watched watched him just absolutely decimate an Auburn defense inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that's all we're going to say about that. Yeah. Cliff Lee is 45 today, former MLB pitcher. Lee was born in Arkansas, gained attention during his senior year in high school after throwing two no-hitters. At Benton High School in Benton, Arkansas, go Panthers. He played one year of college baseball at Meridian Community College. Go Eagles. Before transferring to Arkansas. Go Razorbacks. After college, he was taken in the fourth round by the Expos in 2000 before being traded to the Indians in 2002, where he made his debut. His best year came in 2008, when he led the American League in ERA and all of MLB in wins. He won the Cy Young Award that year as well and was named the first of his four All-Star games. Cliff Lee is 45 today. Dwayne Brown is 38, tackle for the New York Jets. Brown was born in Virginia, where he was a high school star in football, basketball, and track. At Hermitage High School in Richmond, Virginia, I would not say the the RT thing 
with Sean Alexander, but I will say the RP thing for Dwayne Brown as Hermitage High School Panthers, and they say Roll Pride. Okay. Okay. So Roll Pride Panthers at Hermitage High School. And he then signed to play college football as a tight end at Virginia Tech. Gobble, gobble. Moving to tackle in his third year. His, he was a two-time All-ACC selection. 2008, he was taken 26 overall by the Texans, where he spent 10 seasons before moving to Seattle, then to New York. He's a five-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro. Dwayne Brown is 38. And Tank Bigsby is 22, running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars, formerly of the Auburn Tigers. Poor damn eagle. Bigsby was born in Georgia, was a top running back in his class in 2019. At Callaway High School in Hogansville, Georgia, go Cavaliers. He played college football in Auburn, was SEC Freshman of the Year in an all-SEC selection, played three seasons at Auburn, gaining 3,351 total yards and scoring 25 touchdowns. In 2023, he was selected by the Jacksonville Jaguars in the third round of the NFL draft. Had a very productive preseason for the Jags. And so we'll see how uh, how many touches he gets this regular year. But Tank Bigsby turns 22 today. And those are the birthdays in sports. Robert Parrish is 70. Sean Alexander is 46. Cliff Lee is 45. Dwayne Brown is 38. And Tank Bigsby is 22. Again, those are the birthdays in sports. Today, just a minute or two left in the hour. And again, uh, we will be going deep dive in on the schedule uh, in hour number two. Of course, everybody knows it, but just giving our opinions, our takes on uh, the importance of each game and uh, where it all ranks this season. Uh, and then also want to remind you of a couple other company-wide things. Starting tomorrow night on FM Talk 93.9, we will have a game of the week in college football. We'll actually have two games this week, but we'll have the Florida-Utah game for you, 6.30 airtime over on FM Talk 93.9 tomorrow night. Proud to partner with Compass and with Touchdown Radio on some games of the week this year. Coming up tonight after this show, right after this show, Brooks Childress and Tim Sin, voice of the Beauregard Hornets, will be out at the end zone bar and grill as they will have uh, the high school coaches show, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, right here on Tiger 95.9. Of course, you can hear Beauregard High School football each and every Friday night right here on Tiger 95.9. You can hear each Smith Station football game over on WQSI FM Talk 93.9 with the AHSA Radio Network scoreboard show directly following Smith Station football each and every night. So that's kind of a look at our week each and every week. Uh, here on our Tiger Communications family of stations. But for now, we're going to go to our end of our break to end hour number one. Again, stay tuned. More phone calls on more Auburn preview for 2023 with the football schedule and also more of uh, uh, the Sports Call 5 at 5, another interview, all that ahead next as we continue on with this Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. 
We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. Halfway to the weekend, halfway to Auburn football. That's how it works here as week one coming up this Saturday inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Certainly excited about that. T.P. Hammock is running the board taking your phone calls today as we go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, Doing great, uh, and uh, I uh, I just look forward to uh, hearing some more of your comments about the uh, coming uh, season. I heard some yesterday about your uh, ceilings and your uh, basement, I guess, uh, for Auburn's wins. Uh, Tom, you seem probably the most optimistic. You uh, feel like maybe eight might be uh, what you would call, and uh, I guess a, a major improvement. Yeah, I mean, I I can see eight. Um... I, I could see eight being a possibility. I there is a sneaky chance if just the stars align and things happen and Auburn's better than people think and maybe nine, but I I mean it, seven to eight is really where I'm comfortable giving Auburn right now. All right, fair enough. Uh, I'm going with eight and four. Uh, we'll see how it pans, obviously. Uh, and I uh, enjoyed hearing uh, Keith's comments about how he. Uh, became an Alabama fan. Uh, it was uh, enjoyable. And, uh, okay, to, uh, by the way, uh, or Eagle back at you. <laughs> and, Tom, I enjoyed hearing how you became a uh, Auburn fan after being uh, apparently most of your uh, young adult life a uh, Georgia fan. And, you know, uh, just to share real quickly with you, I know you guys I've shared with you how about my daughter and I have attended Auburn games when I lived in Opelika. And, and uh, just to let you know that uh, my daughter was not always an Auburn fan. In fact, uh, from kindergarten up until her graduation in high school, she uh, insisted she was an Alabama fan due to, unfortunately, her having a kindergarten teacher who was an Alabama fan. And so I had to endure buying her Alabama shirts. That was, that was a really a, a – uh, it, it was painful for me, to say the least. I'd only do it because she was my daughter. However, she now uh, – in fact, she did not want to even go – uh, to walk on Auburn's campus, we were looking for college of her attend. But because they had the degree she was looking for, she uh, finally uh, uh, kind of uh, overcame that and attended. And now she has 
more Auburn uh, clothing than my son, who graduated also from Auburn, and than I have uh, combined. Uh, so that's how much of an Auburn, uh, I guess, success person uh, fanatic she's become. So it's always possible uh, to uh, to turn. All right, uh, moving on, guys. I uh, saw these uh, predictions from uh, supposedly uh, notable uh, pundits, and one that struck me was, wow, you get paid how much uh, by ESPN, and this is how you come to a decision why you think a certain team win the national championship? I'm referring to Mr. Kirk Herbstreit. Have you seen his uh, comments? Uh, this one I got from Saturday Down South. Uh, no, I didn't actually see his pick. I know Desmond Howard picked the Michigan to win the title as a Michigan well, grad. Of course, yeah. so, But I, I didn't see Kirk Herbstreit. Right. Well, uh, apparently on Twitter today, um, this comes from Andrew Peters, Saturday Down South, he uh, decided to pick Alabama as a national champion, not based on any particular uh, hard evidence, but because of this. And this is what he said, guys. I said, wow, uh, if that's how you pick people, then uh, what are you doing uh, being a prognosticator? Because this is what he said. Mercy quoted a tweet from Touchdown Alabama magazine with a quote from Alabama's Jace McClellan. Right. And the tweet that got him, he said, to pick Alabama was this. We want to show people that Alabama is still the standard. And because of that last phrase, that's why he picked Alabama to come back and win the national championship. Are you serious? That's what you're going to say to people? Yeah, I mean, look. I got a chip on my shoulder uh, because I'm an Alabama player and we're back. I mean, a lot of players can say that for, for their team. Yeah, again, it's it's. I'm sure that if you were uh, – Listening to Kirk, if he was if he was talking, he would give more reason than that. Um, but again, it's just a tweet, and I, I mean, I think a lot of people that would pick Alabama would would use that as as at least part of the reason is that people um, still absolutely uh, talk about revenge factors and how uh, that usually motivates uh, Nick Saban, usually motivates Alabama, and uh, obviously the the whole point about David Pollock uh, saying that you know Georgia ran college football at the in the last year and, and that sort of thing you know that motivates people and programs like Alabama and so uh, I certainly understand uh, what he's saying there I know you want more of a deep dive I think that if you uh, maybe on college game day maybe he gave a, a bigger deep dive but uh, I, that's certainly going to be part of the reason why if, if people do select Alabama do pick Alabama this year that is going to be part of their reasoning well in all fairness, uh, Brian, an Auburn player could say, you know, watch out for us because, you know, we got revenge on our because, you know, we're going to show everybody that Auburn is back. But it doesn't Does mean, mean as much because it doesn't mean as much because Auburn doesn't have, what, six national championships in the last however many years? And, and so Alabama has usually, under Nick Saban, when they have said they're out for revenge or – uh, said some sort of you know demonstrative statement. They usually backed it up with a title or, or the bare minimum coming damn close. So that that's the difference in someone like Alabama and anyone else making that sort of statement is that they've been able to back up at, at a, a rate that we think we've not seen in a, a really long time, if it ever. Well, fair enough. All right, let's go with some more uh, pundits here. Have you seen Paul Feinbaum's predictions? I have not. Okay. Well. 
no surprise here. He said, in fact, he said it. He said, uh, I'm picking the easy ones. He said, uh, it's very safe, unimaginative. He said, it would get me laughed off uh, the news sports center, but I just gave it. And, in fact, he made his picks to be known on this uh, show called the Matt Barry Show. Are you familiar with that? Matt Barry, yeah, he's a uh, sports center anchor, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, his picks are, get, get ready, Georgia. Yep. Michigan. Yep. Ohio State. Yep. And Alabama. All right, two from no, usual, two from both leagues. Yep. That's the usual suspects. The, yep, all those programs right. understandable. Tough road to get to with uh, with only two conferences represented. A lot. Some things will have to fall a certain way, but yeah, not uh, not any hot takes there. But Mr. Reese Davis surprisingly said, "Not so fast, my friend." Uh, on UGA Sports dot com podcast, they with Jim Donnan. Um, he revealed his national championship prediction will be that Michigan will beat Georgia in the title game. Interesting. You know, I, I'm torn when I think about the playoff. There's different directions I get torn into. Uh, and some of them, I don't think are biases, but uh, predisposed thoughts, I'll say, of, of how certain programs perform against the behemoths of the SEC. Because on one level, I do not think Georgia's winning the title this year because of what history says and how difficult it is. Uh, however, when I start to contemplate the teams that would beat them, I don't really love a, a, a Michigan team being able to to play a style that could beat a Georgia or Alabama. I've always thought Ohio State's the best program out of the Big Ten to do that. They spread it out more. They're usually more athletic. Yes, they maybe are a smidge less <clears throat> physical in certain spots than Michigan from time to time, but really their style is what's more consequential to me because Michigan does things too confined, and and when you're playing expert defenses like Georgia and Alabama, if there's less space they have to cover, they're going to do an elite job at covering the space they do need to cover. You, you have to cause some chaos. You have to cause mm-hmm. big plays. Uh, and so – you know that that is an interesting observation. Again, Michigan has got two in a row over Ohio State. So you say, well, why wouldn't Michigan be better positioned? Again, I think it's the the style of play. So as I I do kind of think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State again. So it'd have to be both of them getting into the playoff, which is again a tough scenario if if it's two Big Ten and two SEC. But again, I I, I still think even if Michigan beats Ohio State, and I felt this way last year. Look what happened. I still think Ohio State's better equipped to beat someone like Georgia and Alabama. So if you end up getting the Georgia-Michigan matchup or an Alabama-Michigan matchup, I like Alabama or Georgia in that one because they're really good at stopping that style of play. So it's a conundrum I've battled with trying to come up with my own playoff and my own national champion. Okay, fair enough. Now, um, there is a guy that I've been following, I think I've mentioned the same to you, Ted Fang, who's a uh, he has a doctorate, he's, uh, he, he gives a, I get his emails about his sports uh, analysis and sports uh, predictions, prognostications. Uh, it's called the Power Rank. Well, I got his recent email, and he likes Michigan uh, for these reasons. He says, quarterback J.J. McCarthy returns for his second year as a starter, and he has a challenge to win the Heisman. He points out that Georgia will be starting a redshirt sophomore, Carson Beck. Um, he says they will be starting, Ohio State will be starting Kyle McCord against Indiana on Saturday, but he said he has not won a job over Devin Brown. Uh, what does he mean? Um, I, I would assume that he would mean that it's still an open competition in terms of if he if he doesn't play well, McCord doesn't play well, 
then they'll open it back up. I, I don't think I don't think it's too dissimilar from Auburn. Whereas if Peyton Thorne was like fourteen of thirty three against Cal and Auburn was in danger of losing or did lose, I don't think he would just waltz in there the next week and just be automatically starter, no questions asked. So I think it would be a similar thing where he's the starter, he's named, etc. But if he can't play awful and just keep the job all year, there's certain guys, you know, if someone like Drake may had a bad game against South Carolina, North Carolina's not going to go out there next week and be like, hey, you know, maybe maybe Drake May doesn't have it anymore. No, he's going to start all year long whether he's playing well or not. And there's some guys that fit in that category. I just think that when you're uh, a, a posi- when it was truly a position battle going into the season, just because you get name starter, it doesn't mean it's an open and, sh- and shut case. I think you still have to play. You don't have to play to some Heisman level, but you do have to play to a pretty solid level to maintain the job. Okay, thanks for kind of clarifying what that was. Mean. He goes on to say the Alabama uh, doesn't know yet. Uh, I think it's have they decided who's going to be. Is it Galen Milrow? Gosh, I don't know if they've even named it. I, I've looked out for it. I think the presumption's still Milrow. But uh, they, they sure have been pretty pretty quiet on that front. Okay. So he says right now, he says Michigan has a better quarterback situation than the uh, previously mentioned teams. And then he goes on to say the offense should be great to exceptional for Michigan. He said they'll be able to bludgeon, those are his words, inferior opponents with the run game. He said they uh, should have an exceptional offensive line and one of the best running back tandems in college football with Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards. I don't remember those guys. Um, are they that good? Oh, Corum's really good. He'll he'll be he'll be a Heisman candidate uh, at least early in the year. We'll see how he produces. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm was it uh, Donovan Edwards? You said yeah, he almost had a thousand yards rushing as his backup last year. So I, I, I honestly, the biggest threat to Corum might be that there's someone really good behind him that's going to split carries with him. Uh, and so, if I may comment on that, look, I think Michigan statistically will be awesome offensively. They averaged 40 a game last year. But again, I think it's about styles. And they're going to be able to, even though the Big Ten is a good defensive conference, I mean, it's a really good defensive conference. We make fun of the, the lower scoring games from time to time, but it is rooted out of good defense most of the time. Um, I think they'll be able to perfect scoring on those teams because they will still ultimately be stronger than teams that rely on strength. They still will be able to be a little bit more dynamic than teams that try to shut down other quote-unquote dynamic parts of, of Big Ten teams. I think they'll score a lot, but I'm talking about when it matters the most, can a more pro-style offense be awesome against defenses that have perfected defense, mainly Georgia and Alabama. And that's where I have my doubts because the less things you give Kirby Smart or Nick Saban to defend, the better they are at stopping that one thing. Like you you put your hat on something, you're hanging a hat on something you're really good at. Well, they know you're really good at that, and they have the five-star players to be able to stop something. It's when you make them not be able to play assignment football or you make them have to account for the unaccountable. That's when you actually get to them and are able to score. When Tennessee's throwing bombs in Neyland Stadium, it's really hard to put corners on islands against really fast wide receivers and make that play time after time. And and when you run up tempo offenses, you make them get out of position more often and, and lose their assignment. So, again, it's not that Michigan's not going to be really, really good in the Big Ten. They are. 
but it's just how does it project into the playoff? No matter again, all that all what he said is is valid. They do they will have a really good running game. I do like like JJ McCarthy more than I like their other quarterbacks. Their offensive line will be good. Harbaugh is a good coach. All that checks out in the Big Ten. It's just translating that into a more sophisticated, elite type of defense you usually see coming out of the SEC. Well, he also points out he thinks their weakness is in receivers. Sure. Um, and he also mentioned, like you just mentioned, about their defense. He has concerns about uh, their quarterback position. They lost some highly ranked uh, uh, players, uh, I guess, to the NFL. Uh, and then he says here, and apparently I love this one, he says for the second year in a row, Michigan faces an out-of-conference schedule softer than a baby's bottom. Yes, agreed. And he says he expects it to be 9-0 and heading on a road trip to Penn State. Yes, agreed. You agree? Yes, agreed. Okay. All right, well, right now, uh, one of the big, uh, I guess, uh, Vegas uh, bookmakers is Caesars. He said they have uh, Michigan as a having a 44% chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's the, I mean, unless Penn State can rise up, it's Michigan or Ohio State, and it's been that way for the last few years. Now, speaking of receivers, guys, let me switch over to Auburn. I read a comment from Jason Caldwell that was uh, really uh, troubling. Uh, from yesterday's, he said, observations, of their practice, uh, I guess, and he said that the receivers uh, didn't hold on the ball three times when passes thrown to them. They dropped them. Now, he didn't say if it was the same, same receiver or different receivers, but wow, should that still be happening? Uh, I mean, drops still happen from time to time. I don't. I would, in a row. I would like to. I would like to know who it was, who it was against. I'd like to eyeball it myself. To be to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I, that's not enough info for me to be able to do much with. Yes, drops are bad. Yes, they do happen from time to time. If you drop three straight passes in general, that's awful. But I would I would still like to know a little more inf- info there. Yeah, he didn't say if it was the same receiver or different receiver. However, I'm still wondering, okay, um, shouldn't we getting those things uh, by now hopefully worked out? And uh, if we're not, how come? Why not? I, again, I, I still I'll tell you this that obviously you get to a point where um, too many drops is obviously a really bad thing. Everybody drops one or two every now and then. Even the pros do that. Uh, I know that people won't love this example, but uh, Julio Jones was one of not the best receivers for I don't know seven or eight years in the NFL, and he still had a, a decent amount of drops, uh, especially compared to who he was as a as a player. So, again, I'm not calling anybody on Auburn. I'd love for someone to, to function like Julio Jones and Auburn's team. But what I'm saying is a drop every now and then still unfortunately happens. It even happens with the very best ones. What, that's why I want to know more information. Are we talking about, like, are Coy Moore with a drop? Okay, I don't care as much. Are you talking about, you know, Shane Hooks dropping two of the three? Then I care more. So it just depends who, who it was what kind of play it was, and, and all that. But the occasional drop absolutely still happens at every level. Yeah, and you know, I heard Justin Ferguson's comments about what he thought the receivers and who he thought would be some breakout players. And I agree with him. Uh, I think the first thing I've been reading is Hooks and maybe Fairweather. Uh, I guess maybe Camden Brown, but he's been uh, injured. Uh, who do you think will be our go-to guy, guys, uh, for uh, receivers? Again, I, I think it's going to start with, with Shane Hooks. Shane Hooks, yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think that uh, when you've seen him make the plays he has in the in the fall, even to the point that Auburn tweeting about some of them, 
um, knowing that he made some big-time one-on-one plays at Jackson State, and also with just the fact, whether you believe in depth charts or not, uh, there's three starting wide receiver positions. Two of the three have oars for the starters. The one that does not is Shane Hooks, uh, not having an oar by his name. So I think you start there. There's going to be plenty of guys from Rivaldo Fairweather. Fairweather's to, my guy. Uh, to and, and and look, I just worry about how they're actually going to use him if they're yeah, going to use well, him well right. or not. Uh, but uh, Fairweather's going to be in there. Jair Shorter's going to be in there, uh, and then you got your slot guys. There's going to be there's going to be options for sure. Big deal. You think he'll be. Uh, one that uh, he'll be targeting? Not one of the primary ones. I think he'll play. He was named a captain yesterday. Uh, right. He'll play. Uh, I just don't know if his role is going to be getting five yeah. to seven targets. Game. Yeah, I, I think on that on that tight end, the the tight end role with Fairweather and Deal. Uh, Fairweather's I think going to be used more as your pass catching type guy. Now Deal can catch, but I think Fairweather is is the guy that they can put it tight end or split out wide. Uh, you may have him and Dill in at the same time, but Dill is not going to be your pass-catching wide receiver per se, but Rivaldo Fairweather can absolutely, potentially, even lead the team in receptions uh, and yards. I mean, that's the potential for him with his size. All right, Steve, last thing for us, and we got to let you go. Okay. Can we safely say the Jaquest Hunter is over and done with? I would have thought so. I did not like what I heard uh, from Hugh Freeze in the. Um, it's it's kind of the, it's kind of a conference call uh, with the with the league where people and beat writers from across the league can ask other coaches, um, and, and that happens midweek. And Nathan King, who is one of Auburn's local beat reporters, obviously asked him about Jarquez Hunter, and, and Hugh Freeze continued with the kind of. Uh, generalized coy statement of uh, you know we continue to or we don't talk about players availability whether they're going to play or not up until the game so I would have loved a yes there he's he's going to play he's not going to be suspended but uh, and I I think he's not I think he's going to play but again we can't be 100% sure yet unfortunately so I didn't know that thanks for educating me because you know I saw on the death chart he's well, this is a starter, so again, I, I think for the world he's going to play, but I, I'm not, I'm not a betting man, and I'm not going to start on that one. Wow! So that is not overdone with then. Not quite. It, 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 if he plays on Saturday, I promise it's over and done with. At that point, uh, again, so it, if that's the case, right? Then why wouldn't you just go ahead and say, you know, yeah, I, again, he, that, he's playing. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying just leaving a little sliver of doubt. Uh, that that he's playing. I, I again. I that's still. I still think he is, and he's certainly not suspended long term. He's been practicing for weeks. Uh, I mean, yeah, that yeah. That, that, that vagueness uh, uh, doesn't. That's, that's, uh, why would you be vague? Yeah. Again, I don't know. That's why I'm saying it's not to to answer your question. It is not quite over and done yet. I still. I'm not. Uh, I'm not thinking it's too big of a deal. I think it's. I think it'll culminate soon. Okay. All right. Hey guys. Thank you again for your time. I know my time is way up, and uh, enjoyed hearing Keith's uh, comments about how he became uh, uh, the fan of uh, for Alabama. And I, I want to hear from Matt and James, and uh, I've heard from Anthony uh, and Luke. Haven't heard from Luke yet. Um, and uh, Tom, thanks. I enjoyed hearing from you, uh, Brian, and no uh, Cam, and uh, you know, the other uh, Brooks. I'd like to hear from you guys too uh, how you became uh, you know Auburn fans as well. All right. Uh, Jeff, want to hear how you became a Georgia fan? Absolutely. All right, guys. My time is up. Let me let you go to take more important phone calls, and uh, we'll uh, 
Nick and Sam at this again tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward and Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Does Steve want all three of mine? Does he Is he going to want Auburn, UAB, and, UAB North, Carolina? and North Carolina? Why not, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've said them one over the week. period of time how at least UAB and North Carolina came to be. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe not right this second. Maybe a little bit later today or later this week. Yep. Uh, as we take our next break in the show right now, now is the time that you've been waiting for if you've been waiting for those tickets. We have four tickets to Auburn and UMass. And if you call right now, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9, you can win four tickets to Auburn versus UMass inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium this Saturday. Be the first caller right now, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports call returns right after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom PB with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program. TP Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. Congratulations to Neil for winning four tickets to Auburn and UMass this weekend inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Afternoon game, but a comfortable afternoon game. Yeah. Projected highs in the low 80s. So, no, still a little warm, sun be out, that sort of thing. But uh, could have been a lot worse because oh, uh, this yeah. past weekend could have been low to mid-90s instead <laughs> of low to mid-80s. So, could be in that uh, scorching heat. Be a little more Real comfortable. Scorching. Yeah, a little, a little more comfortable comparatively speaking. So, congratulations well, to Neil. Yeah, or, so uh, like those tickets. Yeah, last weekend that was one of the things I was watching the uh, Jacksonville State game, and they were talking about the temperature down on the field. Oh, I bet it's insane. Was one thirty-five? Seems pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> well, for, well, you know, All I guess sarcasm and pleasant. For, fortunately for Auburn, they have actual turf, so I mean that's yeah. it, it. Still gets hot when you're down inside the stadium like that. But if you have a if your turf field like they have at Jacksonville and those black pellets, yeah, rubber pellets, soak up so much heat, mm. yeah, that that field just kind of gets superheated oh, up under there, and you put it be off, and you put it tackled on coals, yeah, and you put it inside of a, a stadium, and so it just holds oh, that goodness. heat and it doesn't go anywhere. That's why you end up with like 135 at field level, yeah, on a turf field grass. You've got water. You've got some right. coolness about. Yeah. The actual the, the turf, natural, yeah. Even though it still does get very, very hot inside that stadium. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah. It's, uh, enough, enough grass talk. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk a little, a uh, little football now. As uh, we've got the Auburn football schedule in front of us, we've got the full 
12 slate. We're going to rank them all. And I think the best way to do this is just to go through the actual game instead of going, what's your 12th, what's your 11th, what's your 10th? We're just going to go through okay. the schedule and rank out uh, what you find to be the most difficult and most important. And there is a difference there. Difficulty and importance level, something to be incredibly hard but not be as important to the season or vice versa. Something to be very important towards having a good season, however, not be as difficult. So that's why there is a distinction. And I'll be honest, there's only a few distinctions for me. There's a couple notable ones towards the top. Uh, That's about it. So uh, maybe it doesn't differ for you guys at all. But I wanted to go through this now as we uh, get so close to football season. We have some of this to break down here very shortly. But let's start that UMass game, fellas. Obviously, we don't need to spend much time on this. Difficulty and importance for you guys. Uh, my difficulty for UMass, I've got them at, um, at yeah, probably ooh, 10. Yeah, 10, 10 or 10. 11. Yeah, 10, okay. 10 or 11. 10 on both difficulty yeah. and importance? Yeah, it's not uh, as 12? a Yeah, okay. for sure. Tom? Hang on, i got to switch that. Uh, okay. That's something I just That's fine. Out. I'll go ahead and go. Yeah. Uh, I've got it as 10th for both difficulty and importance, uh, and this due to the fact that they beat New Mexico State, right? I, I think that uh, coming into the year it would have been number 11. I'm going to get in the cheat a little bit having seen the first weekend of games, and so now I right. flip-flop UMass and New Mexico State, and uh, they grade out both uh, 10th out of 12 in terms of difficulty and importance. That, so that's exactly what I just did. I realized that I had flip-flopped the numbers by what I wanted. So, yes, UMass is 10th in difficulty – uh, because down at the bottom, I've got New Mexico State is 11th because of exactly what you said. UMass beat them, so therefore is that. Now, I will say this. I will rank this UMass game a little bit higher on an importance level. Okay. Um, now, I'm not going to rank it very high. What did you say? You ranked tenth. it? Tenth. Tenth for both. Tenth for both. Um, I, You know, I'll – I'll go nine. I'll, I'll actually go like nine. Okay. On an importance level, uh, just because it is your first game, it's your first game under Hugh Freeze. Yeah, look, if you if we've talked about this so much, I, I'm beating a dead horse here. If you blow them out, then it's okay. Whatever you did, what you were supposed to do. Yeah. If you struggle with them, if if it's a if it as a funny man says, struggle win. If it's one of those then you're going to have a lot of questions. And so I think it's important. It's more important than than just kind of a shoe-away game because there is an importance factor being the first game. You want to go out there, kind of set a precedence for what you're going to look like moving on through the season. And you sure as heck don't want to get out there and struggle in your first game out under new head coach new, and just really kind of – suck the life out of all the momentum that's going because if they get out there and they look like they an Auburn team against Jacksonville State or if they look like they did against Georgia State or if, you know if it's just one of those that just sucks the excitement out of you then that's not good so it, it holds a little bit more importance just because it is the very first game so I'm going to go sure 10th as far as difficulty and I'm going to say ninth in uh relevancy okay so that's the UMass game up next at Cal, going to Berkeley. Different trip for Auburn. First time teams are playing. Uh, Cross country trip. What are the difficulty and importance rankings? Um, my my importance ranking for Cal, I have them at at eight right now in terms of just how important that game is. It's an away 
it's an away game. Um, so you kind of, you know, the environment won't be, you know, too crazy out there in California, but it's still an away environment. Um, so you're, you're, you gotta be able to just stay focused if you're Auburn and, uh, and get that, uh, get that win and, and be confident cause you are a better program than Cal, but you, you know, they're still a power five program. So you st- still gotta be able to lock in and, and, and be sure that you're, you're getting that win. Um, and then with difficulty, or are we doing difficulty? I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead and okay. do both. Difficulty, I have it at nine. It's not, you know, not as difficult in my opinion. Uh, like I said, still a power five school, so you're going to have to still be focused. It's an away environment. That's why. Um, so, you, like I said, eight in, in importance in terms of you want to be able to um, establish that you can, you know, beat an outside power five program, but as well with the difficulty as nine because it's not a top tier power five program. We know that with their, you know, their cow. Um, but it's still important that you get that win. Okay, so you had their eight on the importance, ninth on the difficulty. Tom. Correct. Uh, Cal, I'm going eight and eight on that okay. one. Uh, yeah, I mean, eight, eight on the difficulty level just because, I mean, it, it's on the road. It is a top conference team, so they're going to be better than your small teams. Uh, on the eight level, you know, I, I drop it, you know, it's – Mainly just because, I mean, there's other games that are a lot more important and other games that yeah. are maybe not as important. So eight is just kind of that obligatory number I've just got to throw out there for it. I mean, it's it's important because, I mean, you're playing, but it's, it's not your first, important. like, real team. Yeah. It's not even a real, real team. It's just right. something. It's a, yeah. It is what it is. Um, you know, it's, yeah, eight difficulty, eight on a relevancy. Uh, a lot of that that relevancy will also be determined by what happens against UMass. I mean, th- this is also we're just doing it now. Right, uh, things happen. If you blow out UMass, then that game relevancy stays at about an eight. If you really struggle against UMass, then that relevancy kind of bumps up a little sure. bit because it's like, listen, we we got to get the truck back on the road here. You know, we we kind of spun our tires against UMass, we need to show that that was an anomaly and not the norm. So then the relevancy bumps up because now you got to go out to Cal and prove that you are actually a pretty good football team. Sure. So, But for right now, starting out, I'll go 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, again, and, and I again, for, for anyone wondering, this is our projection, and as Tom said, obviously if teams end up being better or worse than expectations, that will change – the difficulty level and importance and all that. So this is just our best guess. This is what we project for the season. I've also got Cal and eight and eight. I toyed with them. I think them and Vandy are in a tier. I think the three of the four non-conference games are in a certain tier, and them and Vandy are what you're kind of looking at as like this like D game tier. Uh, but I, I made it more important and a little more difficult because it is a cross country trip. I think Auburn's going to have just as many fans as Vanderbilt, if not more. In Nashville, I don't think it'll necessarily be the case there uh, at Cal. And then importance-wise, look, it's your first Power Five team under Hugh Freeze. Like, like I think it's still more important than Vandy. You know, Vandy's a conference game. Like Vandy becomes Vandy's less important because if you're if you're losing to Vandy, it doesn't matter that it affects your SEC record. Like, like that that doesn't have any bearing at that point because Vandy's not going to beat a team to keep them out of a, a conference title situation if you're if you're losing to Vandy. So that's why I think Cal and Vandy are equally important. I'm giving a slide to Cal because it's earlier in the season. We're going to gloss over Sanford. Does everyone have 12? 12 and 12? Yes. 12 and 12? Yeah, 12, 12 and 12. 12. All right. Everyone had 12 and 12 for Sanford. Sorry about it for the Bulldogs. I know they'll have some Birmingham kids that would have loved to play at Auburn. 
understand it. Auburn wins that game by a lot of points. All right, next up, this first SEC game at Texas A&M. I'm interested. You guys, this is where we could start the difference. So here we go, at Texas A&M. All right, so I'm going to say this. Third toughest. Okay. Okay. To me, this is the number one most relevant game. Number one. Okay. In importance. In importance. We will have we will have differences. Yeah. We will have differences. Can confirm. All right. So uh, explain. Uh, third toughest, just because I mean, well, I think there are two tougher games ahead of them, and and there's going to be some dissent on why is it not fourth instead of third because of a certain team, but it's at Texas A&M. And that's where I differentiate, and it's going to kind of lead into a hot take that I have. Okay. Um, you know, I I still think there's a lot of questions with Texas A&M, but, I mean, when you look at the schedule and the way things play out, I, I think Texas A&M is going to be better than last year. You're going at – you're playing at Texas A&M. So, you get through three games. I think Auburn is 3-0. and and now you make your first really big true test, your first SEC game. This is the game that will mark Hugh Freeze and what happens with this team. I, I, I fully, fully believe that. That You think it's a two-roads-diverge situation where yes. win and you're off to a really good season, lose, you're off to a disappointing season. Yes. Um, okay. And and just the the pure relevancy of it being Hugh Freeze's first SEC game, his first true road test. You can say Cal's a true road test, but I'm talking in an environment that is show enough tough yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Now Auburn has had some Auburn has had plenty of success in College Station. They have shown that they can win there. That's not the issue. It's not like Baton Rouge. But as far as te- as far as relevancy, when you get the fact that that is just the first really big game of, of his tenure here, and it will definitely set the tone because of those first three games are games that Auburn should be able to cruise through. Should. But that's going to be the first true test, first true road test, and it's really going to kind of set the set in motion what happens the rest of the way. So third hardest, but it is the absolute most relevant wow. game on that schedule. All right. Okay, so I am with Tom on the importance. I think it is the most important game um, because it is the first game in for the in the SEC for Hugh Freeze. Um, I, I I think it, you just got to get off to a, 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 a fast start. You got to. You got to start off strong, and and Texas A and M. I have them as my fourth difficult, in terms of difficulty, um, you know, team that Auburn will face. But they are the most important, based off you know a lot of things that Tom said. You want to start off fast. You want to start off strong. That Texas A and M game. I mean, that's that's a big environment. They're going to be an extremely talented team on paper, whether you agree with the coaching or you know however that goes down but in terms of talent texas a&m is there they have that so they that is a very very important game not the most difficult game it's the fourth most difficult game for me but it is i think it just extremely extremely important that you get off to a good start in the sec so third most difficult or fourth, fourth most, most difficult and but and first most, most important yes we had differences here i love this i only had it as the fourth most important game of the year, which is also where I had it as the most difficult because I thought of importance in a different way. Uh, I think that what you the angle you guys are at is completely right, though, from the standpoint of 
what it leads to in the type of season. There was one game that I also think about, too, that's kind of on the back end of this this tough stretch, which yeah. we'll talk about in a minute, which is it's kind of the same thing in terms of how it sets you up for the second half. But A&M's where you, where you learn a lot of things. Yep. And all the things that you think you've started to learn from the first three games or you hope that you learn or, or have maybe false pretense on, they all get exposed um, for real in that A&M game. And this could be – and I'm not – it won't have the same – stances or, or same uh, consequences for both head coaches this game reminds me a little bit though of what was that was that 2016 lsu where less miles and miles on both were on a little little shaky ground yeah yeah uh, and you have the really dramatic ending did they get the playoff no they didn't rod gilmore's mindlessly saying in the booth he thought they got the playoff just 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 all those great things and Auburn wins, Les Miles gets fired. Now, obviously, if Auburn loses, they have <laughs> freeze nowhere near fire. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it does kind of have that importance for Jimbo Fisher potentially, but then also just with the types of seasons that those two programs could have, this is one that you're circling if you're A&M. A&M yep. cannot lose at home to Auburn if they want to have Ew. a really good year. They can't do that. And if Auburn wants to have the higher end of their ceiling year, an eight or even nine win year, they have to beat Texas A&M, uh, especially have that nine win year so uh that that's why it's really important i still have it number four on both difficulty and importance obviously it's difficult to go to a hundred thousand seat stadium uh however um you know it's not more difficult than three obvious ones because well a&m just not perceived to be as good of a team as some right. of those guys right all right uh let's try to get like two more in maybe three more in before the the end of our break and then our sports ball five five will be the last five games of the year okay uh so georgia next i'll go first this time this is my number one most difficult game uh this is just due to how damn good georgia is and how it's not mattered as much to be at home or away versus georgia in the last eight or nine years if, if alabama and georgia are the exact same it's still easier not that it's easy but easier for Auburn to play Alabama they always have a better game against Alabama than they've had against Kirby Smart's Georgia teams uh, and, and so obviously 2017 being the only time that, that Auburn's won here as of late against Georgia I think this is the the most difficult game because even with the quarterback concerns look Georgia and Alabama both have quarterback concerns right well, it's not a large gap, but I still like Georgia a little bit more with the rest of their team because of their two straight national titles, because they did bring back more defensive players than you realize off of last year's team. And so I like Georgia a little bit more as a team there, again, coupled with the difficulty Auburn had against Georgia compared to being much more competent against Alabama, even losses at times. It's my number two most important game. Okay. So it's above AM, and this is where I thought of it differently. Because Auburn people really want to win this game. It'd be epic for Auburn to win this game. And in the same vein, like if Auburn beats Texas A&M, that sets them up for a really good year. If Auburn beats Georgia, all of a sudden that sets you up for a really big year. Right. And that sets you up for the type of momentum that carries in the bye week that maybe it gives you hope. It gives you all the big hopes, the irrational hopes. It gives you all the hope right. if you beat Georgia. And by the way, it's a big rivalry, and we're not sure that beyond next year in 2024, this rivalry will happen every single year. So this might be the last time in the terms of every year rotation that Auburn hosts Georgia here. So okay. uh, it, it's a it's a really big deal to me, and I think it's a big deal to 
obviously beat a rival that's won two straight national titles. You could be the first team to beat them in quite some time. Again, not think it's very likely at all, but just in terms of importance, it does all the things that Texas A&M win does, but even more so because of who Georgia is rather than who Texas A&M is. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I uh, So I do have uh, Georgia as my most difficult. I, I kind of think we all kind of have that as chalk, honestly, that they are going to be the most difficult team. Oh, you think? Face. It should be. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll explain my position. They're the best team in the country. Um, you know that defense is obviously going to be not locked down. the The biggest question for for Georgia is going to be their quarterback play. Um, but you know their defense has always been the thing that's really they've been able to hinge hinge themselves on over the last few years. Uh, in terms of importance, I have this at number four um, because. Obviously, it is a big rivalry. It is important. You know, I, I get all of those things, but this is not. You're, this is a game that, even it, even though it is in Jordan Hare, it's not really the expectation to win is not very high. If we're being 100 percent honest at this point in time, um, so with that, obviously a win would be amazing, but. Uh, that's why it's the fourth most difficult because the expectations to win are not that high as of right now. Um, so that's kind of where I'm sitting at it with with where Georgia is fourth most important um, first in terms of difficulty. All right, so uh, I actually have the game. I have this Georgia game as the second most difficult. I've got them at two, and I will explain why when I say my first. Oh, I know. Um, I think I know which one your first is. So uh, I've got it number two. Uh, number two most difficult. I actually have it fifth in relevancy. But it's because of everything that you said. But the other thing that I'm going to add to it that bumps it down from four is they're in the East. It's not a West team. It, 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 does, it's, it has an effect, but some of the teams that you're in the division with are going to have more effect on whether you, or whether you get to see Georgia or don't get to see Georgia again at the end of the year. So that's why I, the, the relevancy there is there. And I, and I agree, Ryan, with everything about it's a rivalry. Yes, you want to beat Georgia, and you know, especially where I'm from in Columbus, Georgia. The Auburn fans want to beat Georgia worse than they do Alabama. I get it. A huge rivalry, huge game. You know, for Hugh Freeze to really put his foot on the map and say that we are here, we are back. We just took up, we just took down the two-time defending national champion. Well, that's cool. But in the relevancy thing, you might do that. But you might have to face them again later on. But to do that, you have to get through some that are irrelevantly more important than Georgia. So that's why I think it's the second most difficult, but only fifth in uh, relevancy, just because, like I said, I think the big thing is the East-West thing and more relevant to get some of these other wins that are winnable to maybe face Georgia again, if that's what you want to do, and have a path to the playoffs. Again, you I lose that it. one game to them, it's – it's like okay, well, everybody expected us to lose. Now we got to take care of business. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying in terms of the the East versus West team, but also it's like I think that's operating under the assumption that Auburn could win the SEC West. Well, yeah, and but, and I don't really believe that that can happen this yeah. year. And so that's why, again, that's kind of the reverse reason. For the same reason, like something Cal is more relevant to Vandy, you would never say that a non-conference game, if your goal is to win the SEC, that a non-conference game is more important than even Vandy because 
that's a conference game. You sure. lose that game, all of a sudden you're you're deterred there. But if you're going to be so bad, you're worried about losing the Vandy. You're not going the SEC title game. That's why it doesn't matter. Right. And also, so by the by the opposite of that, if you're so good, then obviously Georgia wouldn't matter a little bit less because then you need to make sure you beat all the West teams. So sure, I know. I think they're just a tweener there and and that sort of thing. But I assume that I know who your toughest is, and I think it's going to be after the bye week, and we will. Is it going to be after the bye week? Yes. yes okay. Uh, so they've got a bye week. So we'll take a bye week right now. We'll take uh, our end of our break. We will have Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. We'll continue on going through the schedule after this timeout. Also coming up at 515, Joe Bartle at JB Fantasy Sports on Twitter of RotoWire will join us to talk about your fantasy football needs. End of hour number two. Stay tuned. A lot more fun ahead. hours of sports call are finished don't touch that radio dial we've got one more hour to go you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 fm wtgz tuskegee auburn and am 620 wtrp lagrange whether you're leaving work cruising around town or listening on demand we've still got some fun left for you to be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Ken Barry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. I shall not reference that, although I just technically did. (laughs) TP Hammock also with us running the board and taking your phone calls this afternoon. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Joe Bartle of RotoWire will join us as uh, we start to preview fantasy football, you know I got a lot got a lot of people around me that have drafts coming up in the coming did days. Already did one. Already did one, but you got I another hope you one. Didn't draft Jonathan Taylor. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna ask him about that for sure. I did not, but I got Bijan. Okay, nice. There you go. So we'll ask uh, ask Joe some great fantasy questions coming up in just a few minutes. But for now, it's time for the. Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707. Four two seven three. With that, we start the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, as we continue to go through the next five Auburn football games in the schedule. We begin with... Number one. After the bye week, first game is at the LSU Tigers, and that is going to be high-ranking 
on the big boards of everyone here. Uh, we just had uh, Georgia, obviously, before the bye week. So, guys, difficulty and importance of that LSU game coming out of the bye week. I've got number LSU. Two. Whoa. <laughs> I've <laughs> did number two. <laughs> that just scared got, the number two out yeah, of me. I've actually got LSU at number two in difficulty um, because, obviously, you're going to LSU. I mean, Baton Rouge, always a tough environment, right? We can – we can't assume, but we can kind of predict, depending on how those teams will be, that could end up being a night game, um, obviously, with how, how those play out. And um, that that's definitely one to look out for, for sure. I've got it at number three in terms of importance. Um, Again, one of you know one of your higher rivals, uh, LSU is, and they are a pretty good team as well. If you can get that win, especially in Baton Rouge, uh, that will do wonders for your resume um, in terms of just overall throughout the season. So, yeah, the uh, three for importance, two for difficulty for me for uh, Auburn at LSU. All right, so uh, at LSU is going to be my most difficult game of the year. Uh, I and 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 I will also say it's my sixth in relevancy. So now let's go back. I wow. said, yeah, and here, but here's the reason why. So I had Georgia at two difficulty, five relevancy. I've got LSU at one difficulty, six relevancy. I could easily flip flop those and be perfectly fine with that. I think it's the most difficult because I Auburn didn't. Auburn had not beaten LSU since 1999 in Baton Rouge until. LSU was at pure rock bottom. I mean, it took LSU to be absolute rock bottom for Auburn to finally beat them in Baton Rouge. They are not near anywhere near rock bottom right now. If anything, they are more of a national title contender than they are at rock bottom. Auburn just does not win in Baton Rouge. And that is a monumental task. It's a monumental task for Auburn. Last time. Again, and LSU was at rock bottom. True. It took that. So it's a monumental task to win at Baton Rouge. Auburn just does not do that on any sort of an occasion, so that's going to be difficult. Plus, LSU is very, very good this year. Makes it even more difficult. Now, the reason it's six is because, kind of like I said with Georgia, nobody's expecting Auburn to beat LSU there. If you lose to them, it's like, okay, well, that was supposed to happen. Now, if you beat them, it's a huge deal. I mean, it's a massive deal, but it – it, it's not it, it, relevancy wise. I mean, if you, it, it is important, but it's. I feel like there are more important games, which we will get to, and I'll explain why. But it's the most difficult. But it's the sixth most most relevant. I have it as the third most relevant and second most difficult. Um, I think with the difficulty, the difference in Georgia and LSU, although it is slight, I just think Georgia is still a little bit better of a football team. Now, obviously playing at LSU is very difficult, but Auburn has not been able, for whatever reason, to take advantage of the home crowd that they have at Jordan-Hare Stadium against Georgia. When Georgia was not as good in 2015, when both teams were kind of having a mid-off, Auburn was not able to take advantage of that year. In 2017, there you go. That was the, the huge end to the year. Auburn did win that one. 2019 had an opportunity to convert a fourth down late, try and tie up the game, what possibly win it later. Couldn't do it while they did beat Alabama that year. That year. And in 2021, Auburn took Bama in overtime. It could have won the game, but Auburn was nowhere near that against Georgia in 2021. So 
I don't think that they've been able to take it as much advantage at home against Georgia um, as Alabama. That's why I think that it still is relevant that I still think Georgia is just fundamentally going to be a better football team. I also think it helps that Auburn will be on the bye week right before the LSU game. Uh, you've then gotten your first two real tests of the year against A&M and LSU. You figure out what went well, what went wrong. Hopefully something went well uh, in those last two weeks, and you can correct it. And, and take a deep breath, rest up for LSU. So, again, I think the differences are slight, but that's why LSU is number two in difficulty. And they're number three in importance for me uh, because it's still an important – I mean, it's a huge game, um, obviously, for Auburn's type of season. I don't know if it's as big on importance as what their overall record is going to be, but it's just always important to play, A, another rival, B, another projected top five, the top ten team. Um, you could – hurt their season immensely if you're able to win that game uh instead of doing the the numbers let me because i know we're going to run out of time on this very quick with an interview coming up in a couple of minutes so go ahead and tell you that number one for the sports call five at five was lsu number two is Ole miss three mississippi state four vandy five arkansas those are the five games out of the bye week until you get to another de facto bye week with new mexico state we do have time to break one or two more of these down uh old miss the mississippi schools let's kind of lump them together here real quick after the LSU game uh, what do you think of the importance of these two Mississippi games and their difficulty uh, for me Ole Miss is is sixth most difficult third most relevant and I and I say it's third most relevant because there's a very real chance that Auburn is coming off of a three-game losing streak to A&M Georgia LSU you got to be able to write the ship against a winnable game Auburn is it's a very winnable game at home you have to be able to fix against Ole Miss at home that is the third most relevant because I honestly do think that I, I believe that Auburn will be, have lost three in a row. And so you have to be able to bounce back. It's winnable. you got to be able to bounce back. It's only the sixth most difficult. And so the relevancy of that game is huge because you get to the stretch. You, you can't lose four in a row. You, you've got to win that one. So it's third most relevant. Mississippi State, seventh most difficult, seventh most relevant. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, it's it's not a very difficult game. It's a very winnable game at home, and it really doesn't have the relevancy. Now, it's a little more relevant if you lose Ole Miss, you've lost four in a row, then that becomes your bounce back. Right. But right now, just the way it is, seventh most difficult, seventh most uh, important importance. Yeah. So I've got Ole Miss at sixth most difficult and sixth most important. I've got Mississippi State at seventh most difficult, seventh most important. Kind of, kind of chalk six, six, seven, seven there. Um, sixth most in difficulty because you're at home, uh, Ole Miss. You know, I'm, I'm not super crazy high on them. Um, you know, just as a team overall, I, I just think that's an extremely, like Tom said, an extremely winnable game. You're injured in hair. You have, your, you know, home field advantage. Absolutely. Um, and then in terms of importance, you know, Ole Miss isn't necessarily a rival. I mean, I guess you could think about the Lane Kiffin stuff and say maybe it's extremely important. That's kind of why I had it above Mississippi State. And um, but, uh, you know, in terms of that, you know, it's just Ole Miss, and they're a beatable team. Um, so I, I think that that's why they're the sixth most important for me and the sixth most difficult. When with Mississippi State, I don't think they're going to be that great this year. Um, seventh most difficult. I know, you know, again, it's a home game. You're injured in hair. Um, so 
again, and, and then in terms of importance, same thing, you know, it is Mississippi State. Don't think they're going to be that great. That's an absolutely winnable game. Um, so it's not the most important, but it's still an SEC game. So you got to take it seriously. But um, the the real main worry that you're going to have to worry about with Mississippi State is Will Rogers. And, and if you can kind of stop him in his tracks, then I think you'll be fine and you'll be able to win that game if you're Auburn. So uh, six and six with with. Ole Miss seven and seven with Mississippi State. I'll give mine on the Mississippi schools uh, after the Joe Bartle interview, but we do need to go ahead and take our next break. We are continuing to go through the 2023 Auburn football schedule, both in terms of difficulty and importance. We will pick that back up at the end of the show, but for now, we take our next break. On the other side of this break, Joe Bartle of Roto Wire to talk some fancy football with us. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. And we now go back to our Auburn Bank phone line, and we are very excited to welcome back on Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire. Uh, you can turn to Roto-Wire for all of your fantasy needs. Joe also does a podcast on Tuesdays with Roto-Wire, breaking down everything in the world of the NFL and, and of fantasy football. Joe, uh, the time is greatly appreciated. We're very excited to have you back on because that also means fantasy football, professional football, it's right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're we're less than a well, I guess it's a little over a week out from professional football taking place, and I could not be more excited. So this is great, and uh, excited to be doing this again with you guys. Absolutely, Joe. And I'll probably give you, or someone here will give you probably an Aaron Rodgers uh, question at the end, <laughs> uh, but we'll save that for the end. We'll start off uh, with one of the biggest fantasy questions I think on everyone's mind, and that is Jonathan Taylor, who. Uh, going to be one of the very top producers at that position. How worried are, you, worried are you about the situation if you've already drafted and taken him very high or if you're about to have a draft this weekend? Just what are your thoughts on this uh, Jonathan Taylor situation? No, I'm, I'm very worried. Uh, there was a bit of ambiguity uh, when it came to the Jonathan Taylor situation last week, and you could maybe convince me or uh, twist my arm to saying he should go into the second round. Uh, knowing that maybe Taylor would play or if he got traded to the right situation could be a guy that returns first-round pick values you're getting a deal. But now that you're knowing he's going to miss the first month of the season, first four weeks on the pup list, regardless if you think that injury is severe or not, that's a huge hindrance to his fantasy value. And I think he has to fall even further than the third or fourth round at this point. He's probably more like a fifth-round type of running back for me, which is in the same vein... Um, Aaron Jones is going a little bit earlier, probably like a round earlier, but like Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, um, guys like uh, Delvin Cook, James Conner, Alexander Masson would all probably go after him. But that's that's the tier now, knowing you're going to miss the first month of the season. It's it's pretty brutal. Um, 
And you know, there was a point, especially in the beginning of August and maybe even late July, where Taylor was sneaking into the end of the first round uh, and certainly was going to be a mid-second round, the top 20 overall ADP player. So it's devastating, I think, for people who drafted earlier because there's really no recourse. And the worst part of this scenario for me is I don't know who the starting running back is for the Colts. I, I'm sure we will know next week. But even if there is an official designated starter, I think Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, Evan Hall, somebody they sign off of waivers or for agency, could all still end up being a factor. Like There isn't going to be one player that ends up taking the role of Jonathan Taylor. And because of that, there is not a great situation at all with this. It's a, it's a total loser for the NFL because Jonathan Taylor is one of the best running backs in the league. We don't get to see him. And it's also a total losing situation for fantasy players because there really is no positive element on any, any direction for this. Joe, the Falcons have kind of revamped their offense, added um, B. John Robinson, drafted him in the first round, uh, have officially named Desmond Ritter as their starting quarterback, um, added Mac Hollins uh, kind of as a wide receiver two role. Um, what do you what do you see from the skill position guys like Drake London getting Kyle Pitts back now that he's healthy? Um, how are you feeling about the Falcons skill position guys this year in fantasy? Uh, they're bad. And I say they're bad because Matt Collins is more like a tight end two, and they got a tight end three in John o. Smith, who's the fullback. I hate what Arthur Smith wants to do offensively. I think it's very boring, and I don't think it's going to be very successful in the NFL. Uh, yeah, you can win seven or eight regular season games, but when you play actually good teams, that's, that's just not a successful strategy, as we've seen with the Titans over many, many years now in the playoffs. Uh, Kyle Pitts is good, and Drake London is really good, and I think Bijan Robinson is good. Like That core three... You say what you want about the, the way Arthur Smith is running the offense. Those guys are elite talents, and any coordinator or any offensive system will make effective use of them. But it feels like Arthur Smith intentionally wants to sabotage the possibility of those guys reaching their potential, specifically Kyle Pitts. Even when Kyle Pitts was healthy last year, um, I, I was shocked with the lack of usage for him and the way they were choosing to use Kyle Pitts, who's an incredible athlete, I think kind of a unicorn in a lot of aspects, and you're still having to be an inline blocker or whatever else. Like that's, there's just, it's mind numbingly increative or uncreative to do what they were doing with Kyle Pitts. And I hope now with Matt Collins and John Smith and every other uh, good blocker, not great athlete, they can free Kyle Pitts up to do stuff that he should be doing, like being athletic and making plays offensively and helping, I think, stretch the field for Desmond Ritter, who I'm, I'm not high on, but I, I'm definitely not low on Desmond Ritter either. Like a, of the quarterbacks in the 20 through 30 tier uh, among starters in the NFL, I think Desmond Ritter is probably higher on that list than some might want to believe. So I'm confident that Drake London, given he's the only uh, player player around that can catch passes, it feels like, will do fine enough for his ADP, which is the fifth or sixth round. And the same goes for Kyle Pitts, provided they use, utilize him the right way, which we're on year three now. You, you'd think you'd be able to figure out what to do with a guy who runs a 4-4 and a 6-6, but uh, alas, Arthur Smith is not. So... Bijan Robinson has been going uh, number five or six overall, and I think pretty comfortably if you are afraid of Austin Eckler and his workload, uh, if you're afraid of Cooper Cup's injury history and the hamstring injury he had during the preseason, then Bijan Robinson is probably going higher than you might think. But I don't think that's wrong. Um, you draft number seven or eight or overall, whatever it was, to give him a healthy workload, and I think this offense is is very much suited to give him a healthy workload, along with still having Tyler Algier and Cordell Patterson factor into the backfield too uh joe when you're just kind of looking around the league and, and thinking on the fantasy scale of things where you've got a lot of players you've got certain players out there that 
everybody wants. They're, they're ranked very high, and, and people are taking them kind of at the tops of their drafts. Who are one or two guys that are in that position that you would kind of warn people away from that you're just not very high on their potential this year? Yeah, Devontae Adams has been kind of my go-to for that, and he's been slipping a little bit. Adams was kind of clearly like a pick overall 10, maybe wide receiver 4 or 5, and now he's more like pick overall 14 or 15. Um, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb have all been going ahead of Devontae Adams, and that wasn't the case when you're really looking at the ADP in like late March, uh, early June, July. I, I, I'm concerned because Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback for the Raiders, and say what you want about Derek Carr. But Carr really had a connection with Adams dating back to college, and I thought that was very clear. So it was, it was obvious for those guys to force-feed Adams because Derek Carr, Derek Carr felt comfortable. Is Garoppolo going to? I, I don't know. I mean, like, Garoppolo is not that great of a quarterback. He's a great game manager. He'll do the system effectively, blah, blah, blah. But will he actually make Devontae Adams a fantasy asset to that extreme? I have my reservations. I think Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in the NFL and has been for probably close to a decade, you know, in that range. It won't be quite 10 years, but six or seven years now. And uh, it was always clear that Aaron Rodgers made Devontae Adams better, but then didn't right last year because Derek Carr is not a good quarterback and Devontae Adams was still insane. So there is some, there is some like a, a floor that even if Jimmy Garoppolo is the worst possible quarterback in the worst situation for Adams, that he'll still be a comfortable, I think, wide receiver two or low-end wide receiver one. But we're all just operating that he's going to get 106 targets and 100 plus catches, and I just, I just don't know. I think the sneaky part of this, though, is what if Devontae Adams were to get traded to the Jets? And maybe this is a segue into the Aaron Rodgers question because we have to have one of those. But I, <laughs> I think you look at the Raiders' uh, schedule this year, and I talked about it on the Tuesday What Aware podcast. We did over unders for every single NFL team. The Raiders right now sit at six and a half. I will smash the under, and I, I, I like the odds at plus thirteen hundred for them to have the worst record in the NFL. Like the, the AFC is just incredibly difficult. There's at least 10 teams that could compete for the playoffs. The Raiders are not among them. Um, I, I think they could really struggle this season, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo were to get hurt, like he always does, or uh, the defense just doesn't do what a lot of people are expecting them to do. So I wouldn't be surprised. I just wouldn't be surprised if Devonta Adams did get traded to the Jets uh, and they give up even more draft capital to recreate uh, Green Bay East over in New York. Joe, the top three quarterbacks of the 2023 class have been named starters officially. Uh, what are your thoughts on on them? Do you think that any of them have higher higher ceilings uh, of those three? Which one do you would which one would you expect to have the most impact fantasy wise? Yeah, it's Anthony Richardson, and I'm not even sure it's close. And I and I don't want to disparage C.J. Stroud, who I actually really like as a QB, and I think the Texans made the right call. I'm less interested in Bryce Young. Uh, I, I'm I guess a heightist. I, I just don't know how I feel comfortable with a 5'10", 5'8", quarterback, whatever the NFL Combine uh, listing was, being successful. And I do get concerned about what we see with Kyler Murray, although I understand they're different players. Um, I think Stroud will be fine in the NFL, and once the Texans provide more talent around him, you're going to see him not excel, but I think he'll be a, a good starting quarterback. It's Richardson that's really interesting, because you could easily, easily talk me into saying, Richardson will not be great. He will not win many games for the Colts. Uh, what happens in the second contract? Will he be with the Colts? You know, I, there's a lot of questions with that. But from a fantasy perspective, I think it, it's a marriage made in heaven. Um, let's just say Shane Steichen, now new head coach for the Colts, operates a similar offense that he did with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles last season. That would mean Anthony Richardson is running designed runs near the top of the league. 
it'll be Hurts, it'll be Justin Fields, it'll be Anthony Richardson. And Fields did a lot of those runs that were not scripted. He was, you know, rolling on the pocket or whatever else, looking for those lanes. If Anthony Richardson is running some of the most designed quarterback runs in the NFL, he is going to be a successful fantasy quarterback. Uh, at, you know, that 4-5 speed at his height, his weight, that's going to be really successful. And then if you factor in like the Josh Allen goal line uh, kind of opportunities, which is what I would do if I have a body type of Anthony Richardson, it reminds me of somebody that you guys are probably pretty familiar with, Cam Newton. And we all know how successful Cam Newton was from a fancy quarterback for a long time with the Panthers. So I really believe Anthony Richardson, um, if you're going to be gambling on a rookie QB this year, he's the one I'll go for. Right now he's being drafted around quarterback 10 or 11, which is 10th round or later. Typically, the people who are doing that are the ones who had Dak Prescott or maybe even Deshaun Watson, you know, one of those guys right away, and you're just uh, double-picking them. Uh, Dak Prescott one round, Anthony Richardson the next round, and saying, one of these guys will be a starter for me each and every single week of the season and will present the upside that a Mahomes or Josh Allen or uh, even Jalen Hurts or Fields does in the right matchup. It, that might be optimistic thinking, but I do, I do believe there's a potential for Anthony Richardson, especially towards the latter half of the season. Talking to Joe Barnell of Roto-Wire today on Sports Call. A couple more for you, Joe. And I do have an Auburn-related question with Tank Bigsby, drafted by Jacksonville mm. this year. What is his upside? I know he had a really productive preseason. What would he be worth in the fantasy realm, and what's his upside for this year? Yeah, he's a really, really popular dynasty running back, and I think that's kind of where the conversation differentiates. So if you're saying, what does Tank Bigsby do this year and this year own, so redraft leagues, He's probably like a 10th or 11th round selection, much the same way that you were drafting Alexander Madison last year with Delvin Cook or any of these backup or handcuffed running backs. That's a lot of the same vein, but I think Bigsby's going to get utilized more than just a backup running back. Like The, the idea would be if ETN is hurt, Travis ETN, obviously Clemson guy, um, but productive starter for the Jaguars, if he gets hurt, then Bigsby comes in and does everything. That might be the case, although I don't know if I, I trust Bigsby from a pass-catching perspective to equate that same role with ETN in that offense. But he's going to get involved from a, a ball carry perspective. Now, the other part with Dynasty is that everyone thinks Bixby is going to be as good of a player as Travis ETN. He's going to push him out of the starting role, uh, that he's going to get three-down work. And I don't see that happening. Like, I don't think there's any point uh, in Jacksonville's uh, tenure with these two running backs that ETN is not starting and playing significantly more than Bixby. So in that regard... The market on the redraft is wrong because he's going to be more valuable than just a backup. But the dynasty value is operating as if he's going to be a starter someday. And just because he's a third-round pick doesn't mean he's going to be a starter, and I think everyone's wrong with that. So uh, it's a two-part question, and you can like Bigsby and think he's really talented and think he'll have a role this season, but also recognize that he's not nearly as good um, at everything that ETM provides to that offense. Joe, as uh, as promised, got to ask you about the uh, the Green Bay question. Um, a I, I, part of it, I do want to know what you think of 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 the Jets, and I, that's going to be a really fun division, the AFC East. But then also uh, Jordan Love and Ode, if you will, to or uh, you know a, a eulogy of Aaron Rodgers' time in Green Bay. <laughs> just just whatever you want on the Green Bay side of things, too. Yeah, um, oh boy, I, I thought I got over these feelings, and I get to rehash them with straight. Um, I, I was I was comfortable with the trade and and what the Packers ended up getting. I thought it was always ludicrous that there was no leverage conversation, and looked at the Packers and then winning that deal. Um, in that regard, I I had 
been kind of mentally ready to trade Aaron Rodgers even the season before, obviously coming off that second consecutive year as MVP. Um, you look at what the Broncos gave up for Russell Wilson. I am envious the Packers, as a fan of that franchise, didn't choose that route, although I understand why they didn't. But if the end result was then to trade him a year later, that is a mistake on the, on the Packers' part, and it will always be a mistake on the Packers' part. So I, I get I get frustrated as a fan that you know you and I sit here on the couch or on the radio station, and we can analyze these things and how did the front office and, and the ownership or whatever, the leadership in Green Bay, not also recognize what seemed to be very clear pitfalls and issues within the franchise and organization between those two parties. Um, I also get upset uh, that the $30 million pay cut Rodgers took just so happily uh, <laughs> happens with the Jets and not the Packers, although I get it. If that were to happen with the Packers, were the Packers going to spend it all? No, probably not. So why should Aaron Rodgers take the pay cut? Um, and he has every belief that the Jets will do that. So I guess good on him and finding the right spot. I want the Jets to be successful, but I do not want them to win a Super Bowl. Uh, I will be man enough to admit that I would be very upset sure. if uh, the, the Jets and Aaron Rodgers got to have that success when it felt like we were so close, we being Packer fans, and never got to have that happen. So at least recently, I get it, 2010-11 is great. Um, to the Packers' point, I don't, know what we'll, I don't know what we'll see with Jordan Love. But I think this is a real make-or-break year for Matt LaFleur because there, there is going to be no question who is running the offense. I think times last year you're saying, is Aaron Rodgers checking out of things? Is he calling these quick passes, not doing any runs? Is it Aaron Rodgers or LaFleur? Well, that's not a conversation anymore. And I think LaFleur has handled things outside of this Rodgers thing poorly. And if he is not successful running an offense and can't handle a franchise, then he should not be a head coach. So this is going to be a big year for Matt LaFleur, not so much Jordan Love. And if you don't think Jordan Love is good, which many don't, and that's completely fine, I'm not sure, frankly, where I lie on that, I'm not betting the over-under win totals on the, on the Packers. I'm just taking the under on Jordan Love's passing yards. Like, if you think the Packers won't be successful this year, then Love has to be hitting, or he has to be under every single gambling mark there is, touchdowns, passing yards-wise, everything else. So that's where I stand. I love Romeo Dobbs. He's one of my favorite uh, ADP values right now as an 11th-round receiver. But it has, it has nothing to do with Jordan Love being successful. It's just that Romeo Dobbs is going to be the team's number one target, even if Christian Watson gets more yards. So, uh, And Luke Musgrave, I guess, as well, too, is probably my favorite overall value because nobody even knows who he is. Uh, Second-round tight end, guy that super athletic, was utilized a ton in the preseason. He is no different to me than tight end 11 or 12, which is Chigi Konku or the Pat Firemuth, which you can get them at the literal last point in your draft. So... Um, yeah, maybe I'll be wrong in my Packer fandom with Romeo Dobbs and Luke Musgrave, but those guys are really interesting to me in this Jordan Love situation. He's Joe Barnell of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. What can our listeners do to, to uh, support your work and, and find uh, all that they need on their uh, da- uh, fantasy needs? Yeah, it might be uh, close to NFL season for a lot of people, but we are still in the thick of things for my life. So. Everyone knows redraft season, you know, drafting overall is probably one of the biggest things that comes with a fantasy analyst, and I have a lot going on. So every Tuesday we have the RotoWire NFL podcast. You can listen to that wherever you listen to your, your podcast platforms. Uh, next week we're talking waiver-wire pickups that will help you win before the season even starts. Uh, I have SiriusXM shows both Thursday and Friday of this week, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, talking drafts that are going on. And I'll be doing some live streaming of drafts that I have, auction formats specifically, over the next seven days. So it's a very jam-packed schedule. I cannot wait. I will be doing, I think, 18 drafts this year, 18 leagues. 
Yes, I'm gross. Uh, yes, I'm not excited <laughs> for it. But it is a lot of fun. Uh, you, you can hate yourself for doing it and still recognize that it's fun to do. So it'll be a healthy dose of fantasy content for me uh, and for everyone who's following along on JB Fantasy Sports on Twitter, not X on Twitter, sorry, Elon, uh, for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and also, Joe, I just the, the fact of 18 teams, like there's got to be at least a couple times a year where you're sitting there, it's like 12.07, you, you've just seen, I don't know, the first completion of a game, and you're like, oh, no, I forgot to make one change in, in league number 15. Oh, no. It's just it's crazy to keep up with all that. I don't know how you do it. But. Oh yeah, that, that, that happens. I was gonna say it, I thought you were gonna. It's like your Braves, where oh uh, darn, I'll only win fifteen out of my next eighteen games. <laughs> and you have to get about the the three losses. Yes, I right. will happily win fifteen out of my eighteen games, just like your Braves. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> that, hey, we'll we'll sign up for that every single time. Joe, as always, Tom's greatly appreciated. We look forward to chatting again next week. All right, thanks for having me on. That is Joe Bartle of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. We're going to take one final time out in the show, back to wrap up our schedule conversation and this Wednesday edition of the show right after this. Want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Let's get back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334 887 3401 or toll free at 1 888 9 Tiger 9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Barry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the show. If you just missed that Joe Bartle interview of RotoWire, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the feeling. Prior to that, we've been having an elongated conversation about Auburn's schedule. I knew it would take some time, but sometimes I plan things thinking it'll be 30 <laughs> to 45 minutes of content. They end up being an hour yeah, 30 say, of content. A lot. Uh, so the guys just went through the difficulty and importance of Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We've been going through the entire schedule. If you want to hear the first half of the schedule again, that Sports Call podcast is where to go. Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I had as uh, Ole Miss fifth most difficult, fifth most important, Mississippi State seventh most difficult, sixth most important. I just think those games are so critical coming off the murderer's row in your schedule. You've got at A&M, host Georgia, bye week at LSU. And look, they're going to lose, I think, to Georgia and LSU, period. We don't know about A&M, but they're going to have some sort of losing streak. And because of the bye week, it's going to be at least three weeks without a win for Auburn going into the Ole Miss game. 
game. So that's makes that very important. It's a game you can win. Uh, it's a Ole Miss team that is in the preseason top 25. We'll see where it pans out. But it's also a home game, and you played Lane Kiffin's teams pretty well in the three years he's been at Ole Miss. Mississippi State, uh, I think, is, uh, again, seventh difficult, sixth most important. It's still important because Auburn just simply cannot lose that game. Like If they lose to Mississippi State at home, then you start to question bowl eligibility. You start to have all the dark thoughts there. So it's important to maintain a certain status of your season. Uh, it is a little bit easier than, say, Arkansas because, well, it's at home and Mississippi State is supposed to be, in my opinion, seventh in the SEC West. So that's where we see that. We're going to kind of gloss over Vandy in the eight to nine range for everybody, I think. Important, yeah. Non-difficult, ten relevancy. For not, me. Oh, ten relevancy. Okay, that's yeah. right. Uh, for oh, at ten, Vandy. Ten relevancy. Yeah. Who? What? I had, well, because remember, had, I had UMass. I had UMass as okay. nine, a little bit ranked okay. higher because it's the first gotcha. game. Gotcha. 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 And then, Cam, you where you have Vandy? Uh, I've got them at eight difficulty, ninth importance. Okay, I have nine and nine for difficulty and importance. Uh, let's get to Arkansas. Actually, we're going to kind of skim over that, too, because we're only down to five or six minutes left in the show. Arkansas, middle-of-the-road team. Five and five. Five and five. Okay, it's so a little higher there. Five, five difficulty, four relevancy. Wow. Um, okay. I, but I switch. I mean, it, because Ole Miss, uh, three relevancy and four most – are four and then also six and five, mainly because it's at Arkansas. So it's, to me, it's going to be a little more difficult at Arkansas than hosting Ole Miss. Yeah, that's why I have it. I could, I could easily switch those sure. two if, if it was a difference between home and away. I was just saying four on the uh, relevancy seems seems interesting. I, well, because I had Ole Miss as three in right. relevancy just because you're coming off of uh, but so what I think is going to be a losing streak. Um, All right, so let's Tom's get. Tom's thinking very situational. Yeah, let's right. get to Bama then. New yeah. Mexico State's going to be 11. 11 right? 11, yeah. yeah. All right, so Bama, where are they in relevancy for you? For me? Yeah. Bama is the second most. Well, because I mean, I. Second most relevant. Because okay. AM was my first most relevant because it's the first huge test. Alabama is going to be the second most relevant. To me, they're the fourth difficult because I have okay. LSU, Georgia, AM, one, two, and three. Alabama is going to be fourth most difficult, second most relevant. The relevancy that I have, aside from it being the Iron Bowl, which is it is the right. most important game on the schedule. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. You you could be zeros. That one's still the most important game. It's always the most important game. However, relevancy, uh, I'm going number two relevancy, and the reason is is because I think it's the difference between six wins and seven wins. Okay. So we're going to get to your prediction for the season right. in just a second. Cam, go ahead with uh, with your difficulty and importance there. Uh, I've got the Iron Bowl. I've got Alabama second most important game, okay. uh, obviously because we all know the implications behind it. And even if Auburn has some type of semblance of a competent football team, that game will be competitive because right. it's in Jordan-Hare. Um, and then third most difficult, kind of for the same reasons, um, and it – Third being the third most difficult because it is in Jordan Hare that will always give Auburn a fighting chance and and so the difficulty is lowered just a little bit because of that. Obviously, I have LSU at number two in difficulty and then I have uh, Georgia at number one in most difficult. So 
Um, that's what I have for the Iron Bowl. Yeah, I have Bama's third most difficult. I have them ahead of A and M. There's just too much difference in team there. Uh, like yeah. I like I I understand it's the first real game for Auburn. I understand it's at A and M. Auburn's also walked in the A and M and won multiple times uh, since A and M's joined this league. Sure. And so uh, it, it, Alabama is just it's like four wins better than A and M. And so that's why I've got them as third most difficult. Uh, I do have them as the very most important. I was thinking, Tom, for some reason, like you had Arkansas like four. I was thinking you had not. We we're going to have Bama five or six for some reason. I was losing track of all the, <laughs> no, yeah, all no. the teams you had there. That's why I, I, I phrased it the way I did, right, yeah. or I had the tone that I did. I, I've got Bama as number one most important because I've just looked at it as we all know what the Iron Bowl means. We do. I do not believe Auburn's destined to have some big season this year. So, given that, when you have. If you're Auburn, when you have a season you're not in love with, when you have a six, seven, eight win season, what's the one thing you say in the off season if you beat Alabama? Well, seven win team wasn't great. At least we beat Alabama. But they beat Alabama, and and so that's still true here. Unless Alabama was somehow like a four and eight team, which we would all absolutely adore if that were to happen, but that's just not happening. Period. Not even close. Not under Nick Saban. Probably not for decades. I'm just again. Not not at all. But unless Alabama was having just the worst season in their program's history, this will always mean the most because it's of this rivalry, how great this rivalry is, what it means in this state. And regardless on, you know, again, if there's some other teams that will set the tone for Auburn season, and that's very important, absolutely. But this sets the tone for your next season. This sets the tone for the off season. This sets tone for nine to really, honestly, twelve months of bragging rights, where everybody in the state has to lament the fact that you lost your arch rival. So that's why it's still the most important to me, uh, and that sort of thing. So before we run out of time here, again, Tom's last appearance on the show. So give us your final record for Auburn. And again, I think uh, your hot take was, or you said your hot take was, kind of involving the end right there. All right, so I've got Auburn starting out 3-0. So wins against UMass, Cal, Samford. Lose at Texas A&M, lose at Georgia. Lose at LSU. I think Auburn loses the Ole Miss game. Uh, I'm scared about Auburn's defensive front, and I'm just thinking about how much Ole Miss ran all over Auburn last year with Judkins, and he's back. I'm just not convinced that Auburn's defense is going to be able to slow them down, so I think Ole Miss wins that one. I think Auburn bounces back with wins over Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. I think Auburn then goes to Arkansas and drops one. Auburn beats New Mexico State. And my hot take, Auburn beats Alabama in the Iron Bowl to go 7-5 and five this season. And the, my reasoning behind that is Brian Harson almost beat Alabama. Wait, like with one of the worst teams that Auburn's ever had, and I think this team is even better, um, if Tank Bigsby doesn't step out of bounds – there at the end of the yeah, game, wins. Brian Harson wins an Iron Bowl, beats Alabama in an Iron Bowl. Alabama does not play very well in Jordan Hare Stadium typically, and I think that this team is better than some that have given Alabama pure hell. Something magical happens inside Jordan Hare Stadium during the Iron Bowl. Now, could Alabama come in here and just absolutely boat race Auburn and thump them in the forehead? Sure. But that doesn't typically happen in the Iron Bowl right. here. It's only been a few times that that has been the case. So I think if a, if a team coached by Brian Dadgum Harson, I choose my words correctly, if a team coached by Brian Harson can be a step out of bounds away from beating Alabama in regulation, I don't see any reason why this team, which is much better, can't beat Alabama inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. 
So, and I think they do. I think they pull it off. I think it is a topsy-turvy season for Auburn. Like I said, I, I, I think that the wins and losses are going to go pretty much how most people feel. I think that game against Ole Miss is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. But I, I'm sorry. I just don't know that our defense is going to be able to slow Lane Kiffin and that offense down. Didn't last year. Don't think you're going to do it this year. Uh, and I think the Arkansas game is going to leave a bitter taste. But I think you end the season on a high note with Bama. You win the Iron Bowl. You finish 7-5. and five, You get to a small bowl game. Use that momentum going into next sure. season, and we'll see how how things shake out and improve. Ultimately, a win total that makes a lot of sense there with, with one big upset because hey, college football uh, from time to time. Not going to play the music today, but our nightly TV guy is presented by White Claw Hart Seltzer. U.S. Open tennis, six o'clock on ESPN and ESPN two. You also got the Atlanta Braves and Colorado Rockies game three of that series for the Big Dodger series, seven forty on Valley Sports South. And you've got day after tomorrow movie pick at six ten on FXM. The Bourne Ultimatum at seven o'clock on HBO and Battleship at six o one on sci-fi that will do it for the show today tom thank you for being here throughout the week next time we speak on this show we'll be digesting some auburn football we will and i'm and probably going to be getting some phone calls like what are you thinking <laughs> uh we're not going to lose arkansas good good to see you though today sir it's good to see you and cam i appreciate you on the show as well we'll see you again on friday glad to be here can't wait for it that will do it for the show today as always we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. We appreciate Joe Barnell of RotoWire for joining us today as well. For TP Hammock running the board and for Cam Berry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Have a great Wednesday night. The High School Coaches Show is up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>